Welcome to Have a Nice Apocalypse. It's the Talk Film Society series in which we discuss the works of Richard Kelly, more specifically, Southland Tales. Uh, I am Marcelo Pico, your co-host on this show, editor-in-chief of Talk Film Society. Here with me, as always, for this, it's, of course, the magnificent Marcus Serving. Hello, Marcus. Thank you, babe, for calling me so magnificent. <sighs> magnificent for 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 recognizing me finally for what I truly am. First off, don't call me babe, and second off, <sighs> you're welcome. Um, I'm gonna have to get used to it, babe. I'm not stopping. No, <laughs> let's 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 snip that in the bud right here on episode 27 <laughs> of Half a Nice Apocalypse. <laughs> how you doing, buddy? How am I doing, Marcelo? I'll tell you how I'm doing. But I think we should get into our first segment. Okay, wait. To tell you how I'm doing. Okay, first off, just, just real quick, I gotta do this every episode. Jesus uh, that's Christ. that's Marcus over there. He loves Southland Tales so much that he forced <laughs> me to do a Southland Tales show. I agreed. I think this was your idea. I don't. Let's check the check the record books. You know, check check. check the, I'll scroll the, back through the scroll, tweets. Scroll back to the tweets whatever. to the DMs. The DMs. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I'm a fan of the of the movie. But hey, I'm a bigger fan now after three years talking about this movie. So yeah, uh, uh, we both like it. But Marcus loves it. I, I was our I was already the biggest fan, and now I'm I, I've grown exponentially. It, 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 it doesn't seem possible. Uh, oh, and uh, yeah, we have a special guest after this intro. We'll talk about them later. Uh, yes, just, we will. Just stick with us. We can't waste time. Hey, what you been? Hey, what is it that you have been watching? We have to get to the segments. Yes, uh, is, is is that the first one you want to get to? Hey, what you've been yeah. watching? Hey, hey, what is it that you have been watching? Okay, you go first. Yeah. So you asked me how I'm doing, and Marcus Marcello, I am having the fantasticest day ever. Yeah, it's May thirtieth. It's May thirtieth. What happened? It's Tuesday, May thirtieth. We just dropped the third season you of I Think You Should uh, you, Drop You. The third season of I Think You Should Leave. And uh, I've been, I'm on my second watch through of it already. What a goddamn joy the show is. It's picked me up so much. I'm having so much fun laughing my little head off, you know, chuck, chuckling, guffawing, all that. It's just having a great time. What about you, Marcelo? What do you, what, what, have is, what is it that you have been watching? I'm very happy for you. Oh, you know what? You know, and two nights ago, I watched the end of Josie and the Pussycats, and I was laughing really hard. It's a funny movie. Great movie. Um, I oh, ask me that question again. Ask me the what is it that you have been watching, Marcella? Thank you. Um, so, want to point out that I watched the Succession ending uh, this weekend, oh, right, yeah. and I enjoyed that. I managed to see that twice. Um, this past Memorial Day weekend, uh, I thought that was, yeah, they, they wrapped that yeah, up good. Pretty good. They? Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's pretty talk about that man. no further until we do a commentary for every episode. Yeah. I want to point this out. I talked about this on the last intro, uh, for last week's episode. Uh, I said, uh, yada, yada, yada. Rebecca Dorio is playing in Dallas. She's, uh, performing, uh, before screening of Mulholland Drive at the famous Texas theater in Dallas, Texas. And I drove there with my lovely girlfriend uh, Friday night. This last Friday, we drove to Dallas to the Texas Theater. We were there to uh, witness Rebecca Dario, who, if you wow. don't know, uh, uh, features in Southland Tales. Uh, what is she, what is uh, she saying, Marcus? The the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, she. <laughs> 
She sings the national anthem like, half in English, half in Spanish. Yes. Uh, amazing singer. Uh, oh, so beautiful. Southland Tales, uh, she's featured in and also a few David Lynch projects. So that's why she was, yeah. she was, she's in Long, Long Drive. Drive. Uh, Twin Peaks, The Return. Yes. Uh, and she performed a few songs. One of the songs she performed was No Stars from Twin Peaks, uh, The Return. Uh, oh. Which, by the way, the features uh, in the background, if I'm not mistaken, Moby, right? Yeah, okay. This is something we have to investigate further. You say this. It happened. I, 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 look, 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 look. I, it's not that I don't believe you. It's that I have to see it with my own eyes. Oh, my God. Listen, we're, okay. Uh, 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 we're going to forget. But for the next episode, we're going to... Or actually... We no, have, well, we have a future episode where this will fit in. Okay, fine. Yeah, we're going to... Okay, okay. We're, not to tease things, but Marcus is going to force us to do a, a, a Moby episode, but that's later on. Okay, so... <laughs> During my rewatch of Twin Peaks last year, I caught that and was just surprised that Moby... You just saw a bald guy with glasses. It was him! It had to have been him. <laughs> he was like playing the electric guitar or something behind Rebecca Del Rio as she was performing uh, No Stars on Twin Peaks The Return. Anyway, she sang that song, No Stars. She dedicated to uh, uh, the members uh, of uh, the cast members of Twin Peaks and the crew who have passed away, including Balamente. Uh-huh. Very touching... Uh, yeah, and she performed a few other songs, uh, and we saw Mulholland Drive, and I've, I've seen it before many times. I love it. My girlfriend saw it for the first time. She didn't know what the fuck was going on, but she loved it. <laughs> uh, yeah, lovely night. Uh, and then we drove back that night. Long day, long drive, but worth it to see Rebecca Del Rio live uh, before a screening of Mulholland Drive. Uh, that sounds marvelous. Yeah, that sounds so really wonderful. That's what I watched recently, and uh, and yeah, and, and uh, if you missed the last intro, uh, me and Marcus are probably going to show up at the Milwaukee screening of Southland Tales with Re- Rebecca yeah, Dorio and Richard Kelly deal, in person. Yeah. No, 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 yeah, not a big deal. Get your tickets now, uh, June seventeenth, I think. Look it up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the or- the Oriental Theater uh, in Milwaukee. Next segment, uh, Southland Ales, Right? Okay. I uh, last minute thing. Because I texted Marcus a scant few hours ago, and I said, "Hey, buddy, are we gonna do a Southland Ale segment tonight for the intro, like we did last week?" What was what was your response, Marcus? Uh, my response was like, "Ah, oh, shit, I forgot. About, like, what what was it? It was something to the. It was something akin to I did not remember to do this, and I'm not going to do this." Uh, uh, here it is. You go, ah, shit. Period. The next. Uh, message you say I don't fucking know dude that's all you said <laughs> yeah so I guess that was that was me saying uh, fuck off not gonna do it yeah yeah fuck you much like Logan Roy told me to fuck off fuck off I bought a uh, a, a few bottles last week for last week's episode uh, because last week we did uh, a um, what is Zora Carmichael's based drink yeah I right. made a, I yeah, made a martini you, you made a martini you made a martini. I made something that made me sick for a couple days. Yeah. Did it really make you sick? Uh, yeah, I'm not joking. I, I had Jesus Christ. stomach troubles for, Marcus. for two days. Bud Light with a fireball shot in it with uh, hot uh, tamales. Hot tam- the candy inside. hot tamales. I was chewing big red gum and I took uh, a bite out of a Serrano pepper Jesus, before drinking The it. worst fucking thing <laughs> you've ever done. 
is that? Yeah, it was terrible. So this week, I didn't. I I had terrible memories of that. I didn't want to do anything. So we're just gonna. We both have drinks. So we're not. We're not empty. Empty-handed. But I didn't go through that effort this week. Maybe next week. Um, but. We're just gonna va- try to connect whatever we have to the movie. We've done that before, yeah. Right? Uh, we had like we had like seltzers, and we said it was like oh the ocean yeah, 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 yeah. One so, time, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I I came up with a drink. Uh, so uh, right now in Austin, Texas, where I live, at least for the next year, uh, it's it's getting pretty hot. It's getting pretty toasty. Uh, went out for a long walk just before this record, <sighs> and uh, lately I've been into gin drinks. Uh, with like club soda and seltzer in them, uh, someone call them like a Tom Collins, or I forget mm. what, what I forget what else they call them. Anyway, uh, but I wanted to change things up, and I I I I wanted to make something a little different. Of course, it's Southland Tales, uh, and it's the segment Southland Ales. So why not go for something strange and unusual? So it's not really that strange and unusual. I did kind of try to make something like a. Sort of akin to a margarita, but with instead of like um, tequila, I have vodka, and it didn't turn out great. I uh, that was my mm. first attempt at making like a, a nice crisp like summer drink. Uh, I put in tequila, a triple sec, um, some um, agave, and some mm. lemon juice, and, and mm. mix it all together. Uh, with and topped it off with my classic Topo Chico, uh, that mm, uh, that classic. yeah the, the 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 that seltzer drink, mineral water drink I should say, um, to make it all bubbly. Uh, I did not like it, too complicated. So that's a pass. So that that's a failed attempt. But the one I did come up with, very simple: half a lemon, half a lime. Squeeze those. Uh, put all that juice in a in a in a tall glass. Uh, now get your. Uh, I have Tito's vodka. Uh, you know, it's it, it's a staple of of of, uh, of Texas, uh, but I'm sure it's everywhere now. So get uh, two and a half ounces of Tito's, dump that in there. Get some ice, dump that in the high glass. Stir, don't shake, just stir. And now you're gonna fill that high glass with that classic Topo Chico, and there you have a nice uh, lemon lime vodka drink uh so yeah that's what i've been sipping on i've been enjoying it um so i don't know how that connects with south tales but we'll find out marcus yeah, try try to think about how that connects uh while i go over mine which won't it won't have a lot you don't have you don't have much time uh i, I was I, I didn't put any effort into this I, I i grabbed something that looked that was like new i guess to me uh, the, just at the gas station, and they were kind of tapped out. So I got this Cutwater brand White Russian can. Oh, so I'm gonna try that. I, I like I like White Russians. I've had them before, um, but I've never had a canned one. I'm gonna guess this isn't any good, but I'm gonna try it. Okay, give it a give it a try. Marcus is gold. Hey, good stuff. Oh, cool. Good stuff. So wait, what's like what's the brand? What's the uh, what? Uh, Cutwater. Cut water, white Russian. One word. Uh, yeah, so I'm trying to think who in the movie would drink. Who who seems like a white Russian drinker? And my my head went to uh, Walter Munn, the man in the ice cream truck with the guns. 
Okay, um, yeah. Of course. There's something about him. He's yeah. a, he's a, I mean, okay. What iconic character in cinema drinks a white Russian? Yeah, as we all know, the dude. So the who dude. has the most, the dude energy, yeah. right? So it's got to be the Highlander himself. The Highlander, right? I yeah, mean, the Highlander drinks a white Not Russian. that he has much dude energy, but he does, he is a dude, that's for sure. He is a dude. And, you know, he, he seems like a guy who gets home, puts his slippers on, and then just starts pouring cream into his vodka, right? Hell yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, he sees the news of his daughter being brutally murdered, and he doesn't bat an eye. Uh, he scoffs, just says a little chuckle. By the way, <laughs> I don't think I brought... I, I might as well bring this up here, because I, I, I was going to bring this up in a past episode, or a future episode. We're recording these out of order. It, I, I dug up the script of South Antos, and I may reveal it in this episode, actually, um, with our conversation with this guest uh, about the, the cons cut, but uh, tell me if I said this on a show. Maybe I'll cut this all out. Did I say on the show that I looked at the script and it said that he that that Highlander, the character, yeah. what's his character's name? Yeah, Walter Mung. Yeah, right. uh, 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 he's the father of Amy Polo's character, right? Veronica Mung. Right. Or or dream and on an episode either past or present or coming up i can't remember when we said this but we're talking about is how it future or is it past yeah well we'll never know we meant we, we we pointed out that highlander hears the news that his that his daughter was murdered and he, he doesn't care right but in the script yes his character sheds a tear he cries upon hearing the news of his daughter's death. So it's in the script, not in the movie. Weird, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe it's in the graphic novel. Do you, do you, do you, do, oh, you know what? Our, our, our past guest in the last episode, Andrew, talk, told us about the, the mechanicals, which was the, the, the troupe or whatever, the comedy troupe that Amy Poehler was a part of and Zora Carmichael's and whatever. Maybe you, her relationship could be revealed there. Possibly. Possibly. I, I didn't even know they were in the graphic novel, and then Andrew blows my fucking mind with that one. And, Mar- and Marcelo, I saw a Twitter, Twitter, Twitter tweet from you that you just received your graphic novel in the mail. Yeah, I'm going to reread the graphic novel. Uh, I, I, we, we definitely bring it up uh, in this episode, I think, and last week's episode. It, it's been brought up a lot recently, is what I'm, what I'm saying, about yeah. how, of course, like the cons cut especially you know ties deeper into the graphic novel and i'm like all right i read this goddamn thing for this show two years ago on uh, on a lousy pdf now i'm buying the thing black and white yeah garbage i'm i bought the thing physically uh we mentioned on the show that uh if if you uh, if you go to what uh, graphic design is that is that the graffiti designs.com but you like kind of have to they're like reworking their website. You kind of have to have the link already. Like just fucking, if you want it, talk to me or Marcelo yeah, on Twitter, yeah. junk at junkblader at Marcelo J Pico. One of us will give you the link. Okay. Graffiti designs. And I just did it folks. I got mine in the mail a few days ago. I haven't actually opened up the seal. I mean, I'm sure it's good in the inside, but I, I took a picture of it. The, the, the outside looks fine. I just need to rip it open. Um, and yeah, what was I, your number. Uh, I, they were numbered. I, yeah, it's it's a limited edition. I tweeted it out. It's like two oh seven, I think. That was my number. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, graffiti design. I, I they're very helpful. They uh, right after I made my order, 
uh, uh, somebody from that site emailed me and said, uh, "Hey, we're out of town uh, for, for you know for the holiday. Can can we?" Maybe get this to you after, you know, we come back. And I'm like, sure, no problem, whatever. Um, I was kind of expecting this right now. Uh, <laughs> is important? She didn't give me an option of canceling the order now or waiting until... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'll just wait, I, I guess. But no, but they're, they're helpful. And I got the order when I got it. And uh, no trouble at all. And uh, yeah, so it's real, folks. You don't, you're not going to have to pay, you know, $1,000 for a copy of the graphic yeah, novel. Uh, we've, which, we've successfully I bought in two of them Marcelo's bought one uh, yeah, one of our past guests uh, our, our second best friend Vera Drew next to each other Marcelo and I are best friends next to each but no. our second best friend collectively is Vera Drew and we got <laughs> we had her buy a copy oh she, she bought a, go- a copy from Graffiti Design yeah I sent her the links and she got her copy so look at that so me Marcelo Pico uh, you, Marcus Irving, and her, Vera Drew, all got them from this site, which they yeah. should be. We should be sponsored by this website, is what I'm saying. Graffiti Designs. Uh, well, you know, we'll, we don't even have to be sponsored. I'm gonna. They, they fulfilled a dream I never thought would happen for me, so I'm I'm giving them a free plug. There we go. So, uh, you're welcome, Graffiti Design. Uh, I should email them back and say, hey. Uh, I need you to give me a refund on this because I've given you so many plugs. I uh, two people <laughs> r- related to my show bought pl- bought uh, bought the book because we're plugging you to them. Anyway, we'll get the residuals. What were we talking about? What, what was the main thing we were talking? Uh, about? That was the end of our that okay. That's the end of our drink segment. We you, Marcella made some lemon lime vodka thing, and I I drank a, a white Russian. No, but we have to figure out how it connects. Okay, let me ask you this, flat out. Do we know the names of any of Krista Now's friends in the movie Southland Tales? Uh, Shoshana Cox is one of them. Okay. Um, that's the only one that's at the top of my head. Shoshana Cox. Now, I'm going to look... So, I'm, I'm looking through the cast list for Shoshana Cox. All right, I see her. Jill Ritchie. Sheena G. That's another one. Dina Storm. No, I'm going with Shoshana Cox. So I just made hey, myself. Okay, here's another fucking. What happened? Okay, you made the Shoshana Cox, right? Finish, finish that, finish that. Yeah, no, no. That, okay, just, 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 and this, the, this has some thought put forth in it because this drink feels very much like it's a summer drink. It's a nice outdoor drink. I could see teens drink this out there and get wasted. <laughs> It has seltzer water, mineral water, I mean, and it, and it has vodka, you know. So, yes, this is the Jill. Okay, so I, I looked up Jill Ritchie. I know who she is in South Antilles. The Jill Ritchie, yes. Uh, Shoshana Cox. So this is the Shoshana Cox. And just to finish this goddamn segment, it's a nice, I wouldn't it's, I guess you could say effervescent, nice bubbly drink. Uh, it'll really mess you up if you drink a few of these. So I can see a Shoshana Cox drinking this on the beach. Great. Uh, so that. now, sh- shut up, shut up. Now, um, me looking this up, I, I try. I didn't trust you to look it up because I know you use Wikipedia. I used IMDb um, to look to look up Shoshana Cox. Uh, remember the, this whole Walter Mung Veronica Mung situation, right? Where yeah. we got confused, like is she the daughter or whatever? Well, Jill Ritchie is credited twice. Oh. She's Shoshana Cox. At, or she's Shoshana Kapowski. 
Krista now's real name is Krista Kapowski. So you're tell. Wait, did we? I think have we talked about this before? I don't know that we have. So Shoshana Cox, played by Joe Ritchie, is 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 the sister of Krista now. I guess, yeah, and they're both porn stars. Okay, so I guess we have to... uh, I'm sure this is in the graphic novel. So we have to look in... Yeah. Uh, What what a web you weave, Richard Kelly. This is like watching a Fast and Furious movie. Everybody's related. Everybody has a sister. All the... No, we're going all over the damn place. They're all siblings. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Segment done. Uh, so the last segment is, uh, is Kelly news, right? And, uh, we look through. Yeah. Richard Kelly's news. Um, I think we're going to dedicate this one to Richard Kelly, to Richard Kelly. <laughs> Here's to you, brother. <laughs> he reads... <laughs> he reads... My man. <laughs> he retweeted, uh, let's see. The last one we did was. <laughs> uh, his movie podcast appearance. He'll come on our show eventually. Uh, and this he tweet he retweeted from the account. I don't know her. I never knew the right here right now vocal from the Fat Boy Slim song was Angela Bassett saying it in the film Strange Days. I'm shook. Uh, so that's you know I I don't know what that song is. Okay, right here right now. It's not that. No, I don't. I don't know what song you're talking about. So we can move on from that. Richard Kelly is a fan of Strange Days, though. I was gonna say it. It seems like Richard Kelly is a fan of Strange Days. I have not seen Strange Days and Fat Boy Slim and Fat Boy Slim. Uh, you know, Fat Boy Slim. You know, the uh, some would say the uh, f- you know, if if Moby is the Godfather of funk and uh, electric pop. <laughs> Then uh, you'd say, Godfather uh, of Funk. <laughs> you'd say, Oh, no, no, no. Moby. Uh, you'd say, Oh, no, no, no. That title belongs to <laughs> Mr. 90s, uh, uh, you know, uh, Master of Funk and Soul. Yeah. Fat Boy Slim. Fat Boy Slim. Uh, so I think that's the end of this segment. <laughs> wait, um, a second. What, what you, wait a second. Wait a second. We're not done. <laughs> well, how are we not done, Marcella? We have like 10 things more to talk about. Why? What? Okay. What? <laughs> what? Now you're angry at me. <laughs> <laughs> I have not. Hold on. I have not seen Strange Days. I want to get that across. I should see Strange oh. Days. Yeah. Didn't they just put it on uh, Max earlier this year? Oh, maybe. I uh, Last time I tried to see it, I was watching an inferior version of it and i couldn't get through it i i i desperately need to have that screen here in austin texas and we're gonna make that happen that's right and folks. No, like <laughs> that is the number one mission statement of this podcast we've been saying it from the beginning we are getting katherine heigl cat uh oh, jesus <laughs> bigelow bigelow we're getting katherine bigelow's strange days to be screened in austin texas once again like That's it's 1998 right. or whatever. And Marcella, I remember this because at the beginning of the year, it was like January 1st, they put Strange Days on. I remember this. On uh, Max. And uh, people were like, oh, bro, watch this. I, I, I still haven't done it. But now that you've reminded me, I might do it unless I forget again. But um, that might feature in Richard Kelly's Faves Volume 3. Who knows? Speaking of the news and Richard Kelly, 
uh, he has done something recently that we haven't talked about a lot. So uh, I mentioned it a few episodes ago. Yes, Richard Kelly followed me on Twitter, my personal account. Um, and this is after me following him for the first time, like maybe two weeks before that. Yeah, three years into doing this, what in, into this podcast, you decide, I, hey, maybe I should follow Richard I Kelly. I never followed Richard Kelly's Twitter, and he immediate he immediately follows you back. Not immediately, maybe two weeks time. I've, I've been here sucking his dick for ten years. Yeah, got um, nothing. Yeah, uh, no follow from Kelly uh, on Marcus's account, Gunk Blader, but. What's the recent development, Marcus? Like I said, he didn't follow me for a long time, but Marcelo, I got retweeted by one of our guests. I can't remember who. And uh, yeah, I guess he followed me from that. So look, we're both now followed by Richard Kelly. We have access to the man, right? Yeah. And hey, uh, Mr. Kelly, if you're listening, we're fans. I'm not, I'm not going to slide into this. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to sleep with you. No. Hey, (laughs) uh, I'm not going to slide into your DMS. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I I don't want to be a creep. You know, I, I want to just, uh, just what's creepy. What's creepy. All all I'm saying, I want to get into this. What's creepy. All all I'm going to say is that's how I get every guest is by sliding into their DMS. But you know, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm saying I'm a little creep. (laughs) I, for the record, I did not say that. Now, what I'm saying about <laughs> Mr. Kelly is, I, I, I wanted to come natural, okay? You know, and and, yeah. and, and maybe for 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 the end of this this season, like we're just we're not even halfway through this season. We're gonna go to Milwaukee, probably. Yeah. We're gonna go to Milwaukee. We're gonna see him. We're gonna talk to him. We're gonna do a Q and A. Yeah, yeah. So no, we're not gonna do a Q and A. We're gonna go into a. We're gonna be Q&A. at a Q and A. Yes. We're gonna participate in a Q and A. No, no, I, I'm not even gonna agree to that. You can you can participate by asking a question. Oh God, we gotta we gotta think about what I'm. Gonna, if you have any suggestions for what I should say to Richard Kelly at the Q and A, uh, at me. Yeah. Uh, at Gunkablader. I think eventually I would like to have him on the show for real. Um, well, yeah, no shit. <laughs> I think we'd love that. We would love it. Richard, come on the show. We want you so bad. Yeah. But all I'm saying is, Kelly, our DMs are open. We're following oh, yeah. each you other. Come, you can come to us, yeah. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. We make him, we, we make him want us. See, you know? see Marcus? See, I, that's what I was aiming for. I mean, that's how we get them, Marcus. Again, we don't beg. Reel them in. Reel them in. We just toss the bait out. Wait for him to start nibbling. <laughs> Kelly, the ball is in your court. All right. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, yeah. And he retweeted our uh, delightful guest, Andrew Cook. Yeah. Yeah, he did retweet Andrew Cook. Yeah. And uh, Andrew Cook, he says, he tweeted out, had a wonderful time talking Southland Hills uh, with uh, Marcus and I. Uh, great podcast. And anyone into film should check it out. Oh, sorry. Into the film. I almost took that as a bigger uh, uh, compliment. But the film is fine. But if, if, if it was actually film. If you're into film as a medium. Check us out. Uh, yeah. Thanks to them. And, of course, thanks to at J. Richard Kelly. Uh, for making it all possible. And then, of course, Kelly saw that he was atted. Look, I, I have purposefully not been doing that this entire time. You have done like it not at least m- once. I've done it. I did it for when Vera came, or our second best friend Vera Drew came on. Um, 
uh, for the first time. Uh, cause I was like, you know what? This one's big enough. <laughs> I think this can get attention. And it did. Uh, and then every time, every time, every other time I've been like, I don't want to add him. I don't want to bother him with this, you know? Yeah. But, but, but Andrew did the right thing. He's like, dude, if you get yourself out there, he'll notice you. hundred percent. And We're, why are we playing hard to get? What, what, what? That's a bad strategy. Marcel. <laughs> We'll debate this as the season continues, okay? Like I said, right. we can get him at the end of the season. I mean, anything can happen between now and just a few weeks from now. Uh, Milwaukee's going to happen. Who knows what else will happen on this show? So, folks, keep listening. This is all a, this is all a big tease. It's a long season arc. Will we get Kelly on the show by the end of the season? We'll find out. That's it. Segment's done. Uh, this will be a nice and tight intro, I imagine. A lot of things will be cut out. Hope you folks enjoyed it. Uh, we're gonna head into our full episode, baby. We've got an inter. We have a great interview. One I love. I, I love doing this one so much. It was really fun with uh, our fourth best friend, uh, Rue. They are awesome. Uh, they are in the the People's Joker. So hey, they play Poison Ivy. So if you want to support that film. As we do on this show so much, uh, hashtag free the people's joker, do whatever, whatever. And, and keep listening for an interview with Rue. Yes. Please enjoy awesome it. Person. Moby, get in here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're back. Ooh, what a... Yes break what an intro what a break as always thank moby for uh, oh yes little interlude here moby thank yep. you please close the door behind you please go yep. um see you around see you next week um but yeah uh this hey marcus just just, just a quick preamble what? before we dive into it i'm excited for this what do you got to, for this episode um i i rewatched the chapter just before we started recording i realized hey a lot happens I, I I took note of what happens. I did some research. I found some things I don't think we've talked about before. So that's what's in store for this uh, segment of the show, Marcus. I'm excited. You, you want to hear something insane, Marcelo? What, what, what is it? What is it? I watched this section. I did some research. I found some things we've never talked about before. Whoa. Oh, look at us. I know. I know. This is wild, right? Yeah. Or we're just setting ourselves up for failure. This could be just a bad episode and right you now we're just hyping up too much but that's impossible though i think oh, that's impossible no <laughs> okay well we are uh not alone on the call marcelo no, well, yeah. i don't know if you're aware for sure there's at least one person on on the call and at minimum one <laughs> extra person here <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh and l- allow me to introduce them they are a political activist, a professional toy collector, a succession fan, a sluggo stan, and soon to be your next big Hollywood star, following in the footsteps of such great Scottish actors as uh, Rory McCann and Craig Ferguson, with their debut role as Poison Ivy in The People's Joker. And most importantly of all, they are the Skinnamarink. Please welcome Rue. Hello. I didn't want to uh, speak until I'd been introduced. Um, so I was just sort of sitting here trying not to laugh. So, as, you know, I didn't want to shatter the illusion that there <laughs> was just the two of you. So I liked that introduction. Some of it was even true. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. I definitely appreciate 
sort of the the pomp and circumstance. Well, uh, first off, thank you yeah. for for coming on the show. Um, excited as always for a new perspective on this movie. Um, and I mean, Marcus, uh, th- this is another Marcus uh, get. As is every single guest we've had on so far <laughs> on this show. Marcus, talk about getting Rue on the show. I want to hear your pr- perspective. As every single person I have found for this show has gone, except 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 for last week with Andrew, uh, I, he was a special circumstance. But uh, I just searched my Twitter for <laughs> Southland Tales and and uh, for who I'm following and people who have tweeted about Southland Tales, and I was already friends with Rue, and I, it, it it excites me when I see a friend of mine who's also happens to be a fan of this movie. And so I messaged them and asked them if they could come on. And then I found out they were in the people's Joker and we are, we are, we are, for some reason, this show has been entwined with that project, uh, probably because of my own obsession. We, this is our third person involved in the people's Joker, right? Marcelo. Whoa. Okay. I believe so. Uh, well, the, the, the project, the entire point of the people's Joker was to bring a bunch of, people together you know and create a sense of community i don't think i'm actually qualified to say what the point of the people's joker was <laughs> um but it certainly gave me a sense of community uh specifically over the pandemic and it's continuing to do so because now i get to talk about frankly one of what i think is the more overrated films of the sort of 21st century thus far no underrated did i say overrated <laughs> Yeah. Oh, this film is actually, like, you know, fuck? it's so it's so overrated. Everybody okay. loves this movie. <laughs> no, I think it's a, it's an incredibly interesting and fascinating movie. Um, but yeah, uh, just through Twitter, right? Like, um, Twitter gave me yeah. the op- the sort of opportunity to find someone else who didn't think this movie sucked. Um, <laughs> and I've I've bought this movie like five or six times over the years, and just given people the DVDs, and they're not really happy about it. But you know, it's 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 my way of leaving a little impact on their lives, for better or worse, depending on their how they feel. To spread spread the gospel in any way you can. Exactly the because what is Southland Tales if not sort of a a new book of the Bible? Well, okay, uh, we can talk about that. Uh, what's what I- we always do this with every guest? What is your well, before before we get into that, how, how was the experience of working on the People's Joker? Because we've had Alec Robbins on before, who did he has a small part in the movie, and he made the logo for the movie. And we've yeah, had Beer yeah. Drew, who I, is somewhat involved in the creation of the sh- of the project. But uh, you, you actually star in the movie. Uh, well, star might be a bit of a a bit of a reach, <laughs> but yeah, um, the the whole thing came together because I sort of had finally way later than i should have i finally made a twitter account sort of um after coming out as sort of you know non-binary and pansexual and sort of during covid and looking for some kind of community um because you know we were all very much isolated and uh just randomly i came across a tweet that vera did uh, where she was uh singing or sort of speaking that we're doing a sort of a uh, spoken word version of um closer by the nine inch nails um <laughs> but doing it in the sort of form of a salute to the flag pledge of allegiance type thing and i was like oh i have to follow this person immediately um and from there uh, i sort of started watching hot topics which was her youtube show yeah which very much appealed to sort of um 
not just someone who grew up in that time period and was into sort of a lot of that emo music, but also someone who didn't really reckon with their queer identity particularly well during that time. Um, so yeah, uh, and Vera's fucking phenomenal. So, you know, she's really nice and she sort of followed me back. And then I also, I know Vera likes Todd Phillips Joker. I'm not a massive fan of that movie to put it kind of politely. That's one of, that I do think is overrated. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, when the word of the project came out, um, I'm not really an actor. Uh, I studied TV production. I worked on a couple documentaries and stuff, um, but I'd always been kind of more behind the camera. But I had done acting, uh, and I wanted to be involved any way I could. So I sent in an audition tape, um, which I think, I guess I did okay at, because I ended up getting cast. Um, I was originally cast as a different character, but then the way it sort of shook out, um, someone else ended up doing that role, and Vera asked if I'd be comfortable playing Poison Ivy, uh, to which I said, yeah, I'll do anything, but is it okay if I if Poison Ivy's non-binary? Um, and so Vera was totally fine with that, um, and we got to sort of work together. I mean, like, the entire thing is completely uh, Vera's baby, but uh, I did get to have a little bit of input on the dialogue that my character sort of says and stuff so um yeah it was very exciting and then it was just a recording couple recording sessions once and then i saw the rough cut and i was like oh i'm not going big enough i need to be bigger uh and so we did a second recording session um and then i haven't actually seen the final cut of the movie I was um I was so but I think I did a lot better the second time. I think the first time I just, um, I should have known because I mean, I read the script uh, pretty early on and like cried three times and was like, this is fucking insane. This is the wildest thing ever. And it feels like it speaks specifically to sort of my demographic and age group being a similar age to Vera. Um, so I should have known that it was insane. But I think I was like perhaps a little hesitant to go as big as I maybe could have. So when I heard the rough cut and was like, oh, I'm the most boring thing in this movie, uh, I had to sort of record again. And Vera, who's a master, made me feel totally comfortable, was happy to do it. And I think I did a better performance the second time. But I have been talking about this for a very long time. Uh, so we should perhaps move on from that specific... But it was nothing wow. but a pleasure. Yeah, so it was a great opportunity. And... Um, I saw that, I think, I don't know if me and Marcus had spoke before, but I saw that Vera was on the podcast and I was like, wait, there's a fucking Southland Tales podcast. I'll check this out. <laughs> and then we just kind of became friends on Twitter because we had sort of very similar tastes and I guess did the same kind of shit posting, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think we definitely go for the same type of vibe. And But you're more committed to the bit. I, I, I break it every now and then. Oh, I can't, it's not and even I a bit. That's that just that's you. just who I am. <laughs> the bit of life. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's. Um, I think I'm having grown up on the internet and stuff. I'm so like sort of irony poisoned, as is everyone else. No, no. I don't know when I'm being genuine or not. I don't even know what parts of my brain are pop culture and what parts are original thoughts. Um, exactly. But, you know, perhaps that's why I enjoy Southland Tales so much. <laughs> yeah that that definitely is a part of the movie and yeah i feel that same way where i mean boxer has the uh, the when he's explaining the memory gospel how there's like multiple people inside of your head uh trying to get out or whatever uh i don't know like that 
that that feels how like I, I that feels like how I am, where I am multiple different characters that I'm playing in different situations. That's one hundred percent my experience, and I mean I work in like health yeah. and social care and stuff, um, so you kind of have to put on different hats in doing that anyway. But I just think as a survival mechanism growing up. I was like, oh, I'm going to need to be a different person depending on who I'm talking to. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, that's, you know, I, it's nice that Boxer Centauros references that kind of idea as well because Lord knows I don't want to be referencing Zelig anymore. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, I think, yeah, that's one of the things that makes the character uniquely relatable, which is something you can't really say about many rock performances now, i can't really relate to as much as, as much as he's cool i don't think i can relate to hobbs uh you know grabbing onto a helicopter and smashing it with his bare hands yeah i don't know yeah i don't um i've never recast my daughter <laughs> recast your daughter is that what you said yeah no i've never done that and i've never been able to hold a car up whilst uh you know hanging onto a helicopter as well <laughs> okay uh, what do we move on to? Uh, the movie I, I know I s- We have to talk about Southland the movie, Tales. We, how, I, I don't want to talk about Southland Tales Come today. on. Fuck, I watched, I watched Mafia Mama by mistake. Oh, hey, let's do... <laughs> For real? Hey, you know what? You got me excited. Okay, Marcel really. and you talk about that. I, I keep thinking about Mafia Mama, and I keep thinking, why don't they make movies like this every week? Where a horny Tony Collette just fucks her way through Europe, and, and, and we watch... <laughs> And and she commits violent crimes and gets away with it uh, th- through the guise of not a spoof movie on gangster films, but just a coming of age, uh, uh, a woman in her 40s, like living her own life, a divorcee, just, just fucking away through Italy. Why don't we have more Mafia Mama? It's if the if the Godfather had been made by sort of the Hallmark Channel. Yeah. kind of the vibe I got from that movie. <laughs> On um, 100%. Or as they say in the movie, you know, uh, eat, pray, fuck. Exactly, yeah. That, <laughs> that, that was my review of the movie. They should have just went with it. They should have titled it Eat, Pray, Fuck. Uh, that's Mafia Mama. We'll save that for the Mafia Mama chapter breakdown uh, next season on the show. Um, <laughs> I'm so yeah. there. But Southland Tales. <laughs> um, so the cons cut. We're talking the cons cut this season. Uh, Rue, your experience with the cons cut? Tell us. Well, when uh, when I was first asked to do the pod, um, you know, I jumped at the chance and immediately, even though I knew it was going to be quite a while away, I immediately watched, you know, the regular cut, the theatrical cut um, and was like, okay, this movie still totally holds up. Um, You know, and, you know, I know not a lot of people necessarily agree with that, but I I really like the theatrical cut. Um, And then Marcus had sort of implied like, yeah, the cans cut's a little different, but it mostly just is a bit longer and let scenes breathe more. Um, but I was very surprised at how much extra context it added. Um, like, it really feels like this is the the version of the movie that makes more sense. And part of me felt a little disappointed by that because I was like, oh, it's, um, it's more accessible and therefore less annoying to like. Um, <laughs> I like, you know, Southland Tales because it does genuinely spark, like, a really perturbed reaction in a lot of people but overall i think they i really enjoyed the cans cut i think it's a it's like a cleaner movie it's certainly not tighter but um it's perhaps a little more literal in its uh delivery of 
information or perhaps literal might not be the word or linear it holds your hand a little more and um, which is something yeah. i didn't expect because i assumed it would be more incomprehensible and inaccessible um but not very much feels more like a cohesive sort of narrative as opposed to the theatrical i think no i i totally agree with you and that that point you <clears throat> the point that you brought up that like we we keep asking like what what do you prefer between theatrical and con cut and i keep going back and forth because th- that point you brought up about how things are laid out a little bit more clearly it's a little easier to follow in the con cut and i do like that and like as a viewing experience that's maybe more i don't know it's maybe easier to deal with and if i if i'm introducing somebody to the movie i probably go with this version con cut but the theatrical, the thing that hooked me so much in the first place was this weird mystery of like nothing, nothing makes sense about this. I understand why everybody hates this, yeah, and I see something in it that I that, that I just feel. And uh, yeah, I, I like that you got to that point independently because that is exactly how I feel. Like I keep waffling back and forth. Marcelo, you were saying. Oh, I was just going to bring up a uh, word that uh, Rue mentioned about the cons cut that I. Grasped, grasped onto cleaner. I think that's what it is for me. Like the the cons cut is cleaner, because yes, we can agree that the actual cut it's it's a it's it's a messy bitch. Okay, um, mm-hmm. it tries to stuff so much information in there. And then in the first five ten minutes, it's overwhelming. I mean, I do like the theatrical cut, but the 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 cons cut is just like you know, like like we've been saying, it's. Uh, extends scenes, uh, gives them more room to breathe. It just feels cleaner to me. And I now I'm on the cons cut side of things now. After going through these uh, chapters and rewatching the movie as we are um, on this season, yeah, I'm I'm more cons cut guy than theatrical cut guy. But that's just me. Yeah, but I definitely agree with the idea that if I was showing it to anyone, I would have to show them the con cut. Um, but one thing I did find myself reckoning with upon rewatching both versions is like sort of I know why I like the movie now um there's it's so rich and it's also wildly prescient in every fucking possible direction like every scene has like oh yeah well that seemed dumb in 2005 and now it's just a thing um but now I'm like well what about it in 2005 did I gravitate towards you know um, I guess just that it was speculative and perhaps felt like because it's talking about the you know the situation or the, the sort of political climate that was occurring at the time. But I guess maybe in some way that climate still exists. Um, and yeah, it was just it was a very weird feeling of like, oh no, yeah, this film does hold up. I do absolutely love it, but it feels like it holds up more now than it would have at the time. So why did I like it then? Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, yeah. definitely. I, I... So you did see it like right away when it came out. I uh, I didn't see it theatrically. I bought it in um, Asda, which is I guess like um, it was owned by Walmart. It's our Walmart, um, and I got it. I got the DVD for three pounds, um, and I don't know why <laughs> I didn't see it theatrically. I guess I was like a shitty teenager spending all my money on, you know, weed. I guess um, and cider. Um, yeah, I, I guess I just didn't go... See, I mean, like, Donnie Darko was a huge DVD hit over here as well. Like, um, it feels like it was available in every shop for five bucks. So I've, I'd watched Donnie Darko, like, a thousand times. I don't know why I didn't, like, pony up the 
you know, five bucks to see it theatrically. I guess I just didn't have my shit together. But no, I, I watched it on DVD at my girlfriend at the time, Lorna's house. And I remember her being kind of mad at me by the time the movie had finished. <laughs> uh, understandable, I think. Oh, I was going to say. Can't blame anybody. About the theatrical release of this. I'm sure it was small. So I, I think I think this came up on the show um, a few episodes ago where I looked up the initial theatrical run. At least here in the United States, it was small. Because I, I kind of had that same feeling, Rue, of like when this came out. It's like I was aware of it. I would have seen it in theaters. I think I I, I, I was a Dying Darko fan for sure. Well, yeah, especially for sure, because I was a big Dying Darko head like in high school, like in 2004. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure I would have known about Southland Tales, and if it was playing in my town, I would have seen it. I was living in San Antonio at the time, so it wasn't a small town. Um, but I think it's just because it just had a very, very, very limited theatrical run that... Marcus, we have to get to the bottom of this. We have to find people who saw this when it came out in theaters initially? Because maybe the answer is nobody did. Yeah, that's a good point. Even, even uh, I think our most tuned in person that we've had on our show so far to the movie before its release. Uh, well, I guess Andrew Cook said he was get excited about the movie uh, and was like on the website and stuff, but I don't think he saw it in the theater. And then uh, Richard, Richard Newby, he says he bought the graphic novels and everything. Like he was wow. super into it. And uh, I don't believe he saw it in a theater either. We have to get confirmation. Marcus, I want you to DM these former guests and and see if they saw it um, opening a theatrical run. Please do this. (laughs) Uh, You know what? Fine. I don't know if it's a false memory, but I do feel like I remember there being like, you know, banners in the movie theaters for it. You know, those like... uh, Oh, really? The kind of dangling posters. I swear i remember the sort of have a nice apocalypse you know the big splash of all the people um but i mean i guess every movie has some level of marketing and maybe they thought it would play more in europe and scotland was part of europe at the time so i would kill a to see it in the theater at all but b to have one of those banners if they if they even exist or if they're not like just a generated memory okay i did a quick look up of, of uh, Southland Tales and its theatrical run. So here we go. Widest release for Southland Tales, released in 2007. 63 theaters. So yeah, uh, 63 theaters. Um, I'm, ima- I'm imagining those would have been in like LA, New York. Um, uh, and that's it. I can't imagine this had a, a, a wide run across the nation with only 63 theaters. But yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's a, that's, Says a lot about the studio's confidence, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have DM'd Andrew Cook and Richard Newby to <laughs> see if they watched <laughs> I, did, I did not mean literally the now. In the theater. <laughs> so by the end of the episode, if we have an answer, you'll hear it. <laughs> okay. Wow. Stay riveting. tuned, folks. Um, all right. Oh, let's let's talk about the chapters. And then we'll talk more South Tales as we go oh, along. Oh, God. We got to talk about the chapters. We got to do this. Yeah. And here, I, I got to do the, 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 the chapter time codes and everything. Uh, yes, folks, I'm sure we covered this in the intro. Uh, I'm sure we did. But in case you forgot, we're doing chapters five and six of Southland Tales, mm-hmm. The Cons Cut. And again, The Cons Cut, as of this recording, is available legally on the Arrow Blu-ray release. Um, I don't think it's available anywhere else, like digitally or in, in any other format. To see it legally, you have to pick up the Arrow release. Arrow should be paying us. Um, chapters five and six 
are 51 minutes and one second uh, through one hour, 21 minutes, 50 seconds. So those are two chapters. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, Marcus was the genius who I think said, let's just break up the chapters by like the chapter stops on the, on the Blu-ray. So that's what we're doing. So if you... I'm a genius. I can't give you any more information. That's as much as I'm willing to give you, Marcus. I think it's your time to shine now. I do. I do have one more important question for Rue, but I think I can find a way to put it in somewhere else later. Uh, okay. What a tease. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, so the section. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, ground rules, Rue. Uh, if you ever want to talk about something and I seem to be moving past it, uh, tell me to shut the fuck up. <laughs> And we will stop down and uh, say whatever you got to say. There is no way I will be telling you to shut the fuck up at any point. <laughs> no, nobody's taking me up on the offer, I think. And I, I, I'm sincere about it. I, I, want, I want to be uh, denigrated. All right. So we're starting the section off in media res, Marcelo. Oh, I know that term. We have a history of using that term. Uh, looking through the camera, boxer is holding as a hot... Ah, uh, uh, boy, what did I write down here? I, okay, I I took these notes at one in the morning last night. Uh, now this is no excuse, Rue. I know for you it's twelve thirty in the morning over there uh, in Scotland. Uh, I I was tired and pretty loopy and out of it. I took these notes very late at night last night. <clears throat> I think I blacked out here and wrote. Uh, the, uh, okay. In media res, looking through the camera, boxer is holding is a hot Moby club banger fucking beat blasts us to goddamn <laughs> outer space. Goddamn. This shit is good. Uh, three steps is the name of the song. I had to look it up. Is that song on the Southland Tales soundtrack? It is. Yes. There's like five Moby tracks on the soundtrack. That's yeah. Moby's all over I, this thing. Like a fucking Natalie Portman uh, party. I don't know. Is that inappropriate? That's probably God. inappropriate. <laughs> appropriate uh, folks google moby and natalie portman on your own time okay all right yeah uh look look we need to get into that at some point i think uh, i think we have gotten into it before by the way <laughs> i think we've i don't think we have we've, we've talked plenty about moby and his creepy vibes we, yeah we've we've danced around it we've said he's a creep his music's really good in this movie okay the name of the, the name of the song the of the song is called three steps I look, it's really good walking through the smoky back alley of venice beach it's so pretty that's one sentence uh which it, it is really pretty i love the way that the smoke looks as they're kind of slowly making their way through the alley and we've had two guests say that they have either been to this alley uh or seen it or or something or know where it is and uh, i'm jealous of them both I, I wrote that. Oh my god! I just that came that thought came to my head, and I look at my notes, and I wrote that down. Whoa! Okay, <laughs> yeah. And then they get uh, they show up to the house where uh, Dion and Dream are having their argument. Dion, no, Dream says her uh, her. Oh Jesus Christ! Her poem, right? Yeah, the poem? slam poetry. The slam poetry. Fascist dogma applied. Revolution by surprise. My vagina will not be denied a vote in your subjective election. Dream That's over. Stuff. Um, <laughs> dream the, over. The the dream and the on stuff is incredible because like they're obviously very talented improv actors, um, and they are really convincing as sort of fucking terrible improv actors terrible improv actors um, yes exactly and the, it's, it's I, a really good thing they pull off i am just fascinated with that argument they have and the sort of motions that both of them are doing at the time this sort of exaggerated 
sort of even bigger than vaudevillian sort of like <laughs> oh i'm really really angry at you right now oh err um it's <laughs> i uh, i actually filmed that scene off the off the television and sent a gif of it to alex because i it's just i'm going to keep calling lots of performances masterful but it really is it's like pitched perfectly um it's like just perfectly dumb, you know. Uh, yeah, and so we had uh, John Lovett. Uh, this is this is the introduction of John Lovett's character, by the way. Howdy, uh, Officer Bart Bookman. Uh, Rue, I know you were, you chose this section because you were excited to talk about Officer Bart about John Lovett's in this movie. Well, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, Lovett's is you know it's no secret that he's a comedy guy. Um, and I don't think it, it's also not really a secret that, you know, a lot of comedy performers can be, you know, fantastic dramatic actors, but he taps into such a, a dark malignance. He taps into such a sort of like stern on the surface, but like there's so much fire underneath his eyes. And I mean, that comes through in his actions as well, but um, I'd never in a million years would have thought that John Lovitz could be terrifying and he really is um yeah he's he's just he he you know he transforms he becomes the role um to a degree that now when i see john lovitz in you know whatever fucking sandler shit he's in i'm like waiting for him to you know pull out his gat and blow away to slam poets <laughs> uh when he shoots uh when he shoots dion in dream uh and they have the other squibs they have the fake squibs go off afterwards <laughs> it's funny that they look exactly the same. The real gunshot bullets uh, look exactly the same as the fake squibs. So, like, I like in the universe of this movie that just is like squibs are perfectly accurate to real gunshot. Perhaps it's uh, saying bullets. something about the the nature of reality. He also says, uh, oh, "There we go." He also says, "Flow my tears," right? Uh, which is like what, like a Philip K. Dick reference to the? I think it's Dick, right? The short story, "Flow my tears," said the policeman. Marcelo and I, we're not we're not well read individuals. We keep hearing these Kurt Vonnegut's and Philip K. Dick these names over and over. So What's this? Remember about uh, thirty minutes ago, I said I have some information that I don't think we've covered on the show. Oh, Rue oh shit! Just Did I just touched... blow up your spot? No, no, no! I have more. Wow! But yes, I can confirm. So here we go. Let's let, let's go to to Marcelo files here. Marcelo's story time here we go the marcello files yes the marcello files i did some quick research on that line flow my tears and uh, i i came about this article from 2016 somebody did the due diligence of uh practically transcribing a richard kelly q a after a southland tale screening and uh, a topic came up uh somebody asked him where did the character names come from kelly discussed where they came from uh, the Taverners uh, share their surnames with what? Jason Taverner, protagonist of Philip K. Dick's novel Flow My Tears, what? the policeman said. <laughs> Shut oh, up. So close to getting the name right as well. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And hey, check out this uh, uh, logline for that novel. The novel is set in a dystopian version of 1988 following a second civil war which led to the collapse of the United States democratic institutions. Marcus, this novel was published in 1974. So, wow. That's going to be your homework for next episode, Marcus. 
uh, read the 231 page Philip K. Dick novel, Flow My Tears, the Policeman Said. But yes, there we go. Uh, that's the information that Rue and I, uh, uh, you know, came, came to the same conclusion on. Flow My Tears, yes, Philip K. R- Dick R- novel. R- Rue knew that off the top of their head. Marcel, you had to look it up. I've only, I mean, I've only read some, uh, I have like a collection of Philip K. Dick shorts. Uh, I think it's called Electric Dreams, but that might just be what it was released as to tie in with that TV show that they did. Um, I'm not overly familiar with Dick, which is something that I don't really get the opportunity to say honestly very often. <laughs> <laughs> I should I should read more Philip K. Dick. I'm a I'm a Harlan Ellison stan more than anything. I gotta stop saying Stan. Fuck. Okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start dabbing. <laughs> well, we are stands on the show here for uh, John Lovitz. Yeah, it, um, and no, though we are nothing if not standing over everything in this fucking movie. If the, that's what this show is, I so have, it, it is appropriate. Marcus, if you'll allow me, I have I have one more little tidbit uh, before we move on Ooh, from this please. section. Uh, last last episode with Andrew Cook, I foolishly tried to come up with you know what comedic troupe in you know twenty uh, twenty three. You know, is is you know similar to sort of like the fake troop that these these characters are in the comedy troop, right? The answer was right in front of me. The answer, uh, you know, is actually mentioned here in the uh, 2016 Richard Kelly Q and A. Somebody asked him, "Why so many SNL actors in your movie?" He goes, "Well, when talking about political satire, at least in America, SNL is the troop that is on the cutting edge of that discussion." It's it's right there. It's, it's SNL. Like it's uh, you know it. And I I like that in retrospect. Now we see this and has so many comedic actors and it reminds of like reminds us of SNL, which controversial take. I think that is helping in the destruction of the you know democratic society we live in now. Um, yeah, I think but, so. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, interesting how he views SNL. Richard Kelly, sort of like a not like purely negative outlook on it, but you know he he knows that it's important now when it comes to politics. I think so much of this film, a a misinterpretation of this movie is that it's po-faced and completely serious. And whilst there is a level of pretense there, I think a lot of these vignettes or these chapters play as sketches. Um, And so it makes perfect sense that you would hire, you know, people who are competent sketch performers and improvisers to pull off these kind of, you know, scenes and performances, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, Marcus, uh, you could talk about, you know, maybe Rue does not know, but the, originally the concept was what, Marcus, for Southland Tales? The original Southland Tales concept was uh, an improv comedy troupe uh, kidnaps a famous movie star and extorts him for money. Which is still in there. I guess it just grew like a, a thousand yeah. legs. Yeah, it was, that was written before... Before 9-11, and then after 9-11, he was like, okay, politics, we got to put politics in this. And then sci-fi came about because I think that's just his mind. And the the sort of like, okay, what if instead of comedians, they were neo-Marxists? That's going to play a lot more for general audiences, right? Oh, speaking, speaking of neo-Marxists, where did I... Where did I read that recently? I didn't write it down. I, I read the words neo-Marxist recently... 
Shit, I'm going to have to think about that and come back to it. Uh, you know, never. Uh, fucking Elon probably tweeted it or some bullshit. <laughs> was it? That might have been it. That really might have been it. I'm going to search. I'm going to do a very fast Twitter search while I tell you to that I have received word from both Richard Newby Whoa. and Andrew Cook. Okay. Hey, okay. This is, this is the most thrilling the show's ever been. Marcus, go ahead. Yes. Andrew Cook, uh, no, unfortunately, just the box. But he did see the box in theaters, so okay. that's something. all right. And Richard Newby says, didn't see it in a theater, never released near me. I saw it on DVD. See? Okay. So, so yeah. nobody right. that has seen it in a theater. Yeah, interesting, interesting. All right, um, case closed, I guess. Uh, uh, we're going to make sure to ask this question with every new guest just to make sure. But, but yeah, I, I, I think I can, I can say we would have to really dig to find somebody who saw this, you know, original theatrical run. Um, very few out there. One of the very, I think literally the first person I ever asked to come on this show did see it in a the theater and, uh, they, they declined to come on. Okay. Oh, so, <laughs> okay. So we leave this scene. Let's, end, let's end this scene. Uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, we were just talking about that banger club track from Moby. Well, we got another big banger here. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, we uh, <clears throat> so like things are breaking down. The 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 Dion and Dream are dead. Uh, the words that John Lovitz spoke to Sean William Scott. Uh, Sean William Scott asked, "Who am I?" And that's John none Lovett of your business. None of you. That's yeah. That's such a good line. Fuck yeah. And Sean Williams. Yeah, and Sean William Scott just kind of like is like really wrestling. Like he has no clue what's going on anymore. And uh, boxer, he's freaked out by the shoot by the shooting he just saw, and he's kind of having this psychic break. So both characters, um, just after coming together, they are now running in separate ways, separate directions. Uh, the the two two roads traveled. What the hell is it? Two. I'm I'm just coming to this conclusion now. There's a, one one of the chapters is called two paths the or something like that. Roads diverge or something. Two roads diverge. All right, pi- pilot Abilene. He says, he in his voiceover, he says, "Office Officer Bart Bookman," and that line is perfectly edited to happen at the same time as the drums kick in on Pixie's wave of mutilation. Uh, everything's breaking down. Marcus. They're running through this foggy, oh, yes. foggy back alley. Everything's getting no. distorted and weird. It, it's so amazing. I have a bunch of surface observations about this scene that I was very excited about at the time, but people have probably covered. The first thing, though, is it's not the original version of Wave of Mutilation, right? It's the UK surf version, uh, which I think was like a B-side or something, and it's a far more slowed down, you know, sort of down-tempo, surf guitar-y kind of jangly version of it, as opposed to the sort of, you know, more aggressive original version. Um... So it it plays way better for the sort of like dreamlike vibe that this entire movie cultivates. But the reference that it's a uh, super foggy because of the tidal generator, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, the entire sort of if there is a MacGuffin or one of the MacGuffins in this movie is fluid karma. Is a uh, wave of mutilation just a reference to the tidal generator? Is it specifically a reference to fluid karma? Or is it an even deeper reference to the effect that fluid karma is having on people's brains, making them act erratically, uh, you know, utilizing the powers of, you know, 
the tide and waves to, you know, incite mutilation. Mm -hmm. Okay, Marcus, I'm going to let you think on that. You're going to answer that in a second. I'm going to add this on top of that. Um, Wave of mutilation, um, uh, the, uh, hold on, I had this up. Here he is. Okay, lead singer Black Francis, uh, he says, the song Wave of Mutilation. goat in uh, The Witch, right? Yes, thank you, Marcus. Uh, he says of uh, the song Wave of Mutilation, it is about Japanese businessmen doing murder-suicides with their families because they, because they failed in business, and they're driving off a pier into Ooh. the ocean. That's uh, the, lyrics are, the lyrics are very much describing that, literally, other than the sort of reference to them being specifically Japanese businessmen, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, drive my car into the ocean blue. But, but we do have a Japanese businessman in this movie get mutilated yeah the contract stipulates a six inch margin of error that is bananas there's he didn't he did not he did not think that far out no none of this movie is a mistake i can't oh man i like to believe that but i don't know if i can go that far with that okay so that just feels so extrapolated let me add (laughs) let me add this okay I was trying to find a source of this information because when I first did a Google on wave of mutilation meaning and whatever, it came up. And then I searched that phrase. I searched Japanese businessmen doing murder suicides with their families because of the yada, yada, yada. And it came from Wikipedia. And I went to the source on Wikipedia, and it's from a book from 2006 that I'm assuming is on the band uh, uh, Pixies. But I can. Yeah, Buck, when. Yeah, oh, I was just going to say back when back when all they'd made were good albums. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and right. and uh, I can say uh, we do not know for sure if Richard Kelly knew this information. Maybe he read that book uh, as he was filming Southland Tales, but uh, we don't know. Oh, I mean, but 2006—that's okay, yeah, kind of it's kind of close, though. Maybe he didn't know. Uh, I'll say that it's just a coincidence. It's just a coincidence. He he he's a prophet. We know that. So <laughs> so you know what he did know. Uh, well, at least he's a prophet because the movie certainly didn't make any. Oh, <laughs> see, that's good. <laughs> great, it's great. Sorry, I'm, I'm punching myself for that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm punching myself for never thinking of it. Uh, okay, uh, I was supposed to think on a question. Oh yes, uh, uh, answer uh, yeah, exactly what what the meaning of wave mutilation is in in you know. The uh, uh, in the world of Southland Tales and in its usage, why Kelly picked it. Well, Marcus, I think, answer this. I think every, I think everything Rue said is true. I think it's many different things, and then apparently it's also your Japanese businessman thing. Like it's it's everything. I I it, it, I, I I am flabbergasted still <laughs> by this fucking. We the more we learn, the less I know. The more you learn, the less you know. You can sort of infinitely get, you can get more and more granular about this movie and its intent and still come up with something new. This is ridiculous. I, this, this, Marcel, and I've got another one of these to come. Okay, I know. Jesus I know. Christ. Listen, just, just get yourself together. Come on. We'll, I, I, we'll I, I really got to, I really got to pick myself up here. Yeah. Uh, the Jeeps have sex. We can, we can, <laughs> we can recenter ourselves there. Okay. Uh, uh uh, Rue, yes, your thoughts Jeep on this? Uh, well, uh, I'm just double-checking. I don't have anything else to reference for this scene. Uh, I really like the the Rock's got a bunch of... or Dwayne Johnson has a bunch of sort of idiosyncrasies in his performance that we've never seen again. Mm. Uh, sure, the finger-tenting is perhaps 
by the end a little cloying. But I love the little bit of business he does when he's uh, ripping off the bulletproof vest to answer the phone. Oh yeah, is that yeah? yeah that's a uh, that's before the um the jeep fucking right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that I, like I, I it's obviously that. because yeah. he's in shock, um, but it just conveys how sort of disoriented he is um, yeah he has to fully remove the armor before he realizes that the cell phone's in his pocket yeah he's Um, (laughs) that is a funny joke now that you like a funny little thing now you say it but but yeah like he's having this like total psychic break like nothing's making sense to him and then he receives the call from starla and starla kind of unknowingly takes advantage of uh the fact that he doesn't know who he is right now, and so he gets kind of convinced that he is Jericho Kane, and he's being yeah, sent on sort of a special the, mission. The harm that a parasocial relationship can cause, but uh, one that's a parasocial relationship through surveillance, and it's harming the celebrity as opposed to the sort of obsessed fan. Although, of course, yeah. it does ultimately wow. yeah. end up harming the fan far more. Uh, well, it, you know, or at least as much. In terms of the car commercial, the Jeep fucking. It's a, uh, you know, it's it's Robocop, right? Like, it's a um, satirical car commercial. Uh, look, this is funny. Look how wild everything is. The thing that struck me about it was that it seemed to sort of earnestly want to be erotic in a way that <laughs> sort of like Verhoeven's fake commercials don't, um, or not that he was ever going for that, but um, yeah, the the car commercial feels like it is earnestly sexy, right? And and that's not to say that I want to fuck a tailpipe, um, but it feels like it's um, trying to be, you know, hot, I guess, right? It's not play- It's played for laughs, yeah. but it's done with a level of sort of intimacy that makes it more than just like a sort of, oh, isn't this funny and silly type deal. Are we are we maybe getting to a point where we have to ask Richard Kelly when he comes on our show if this is a specific fetish of his? Well, I know that it's a fetish of some people. I remember there was that uh, Louis Theroux documentary about the car fuckers. And look, if it's safe and you're not hurting anybody, you know, go for it. But I remember the the image of a sort of a uh, car's tailpipe with seminal fluid leaking out of it is something that has stuck with me for a long time. And the the uh, the car commercial in this definitely reminded me of that. Although I don't believe tailpipes in real life turn into sort of T-1000 vaginas, or at least not in my experience. I don't think we're there quite yet, but uh, perhaps this will be in the future. I asked Elon and he says he's looking into it. <laughs> that That's good. That's good. That's a more worthy, that's a more worthy cause than anything he's taken up uh, in his life. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, okay. Uh, another part about this, uh, it is specifically referenced, uh, uh, when Bobby Frost asks, asks, uh, like, what the fuck am I? Did I just see two, two, two cars porking each other? A really good line read. Uh, Vaughn, Marcus, uh, John Larroquette. Oh, fucking what, Marcel? John Larroquette, by the way. Uh, John Larroquette. John Larroquette. Um, we love him. Night Court, and uh, was paid in weed for doing the narration at the intro of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, I, yeah. I just learned that fact. Yeah, I wanted. To, yeah, we love Lara Kett. Um, the did um, when did Idiocracy come out? Because parts of this movie, specifically like the car commercial and stuff, also feel like they're sort of doing the same thing as that movie's trying to get at. Now, that's not a movie I particularly enjoy. I think it's pretty mean spirited and same gross. Time. 
Um, but yeah, they do feel almost like there are parts that are in, I don't want to say in conversation with one another, but they're both definitely artists exploring similar themes at the same time. Although Kelly is exploring far more, it seems like. Yeah, the themes are certainly a lot deeper in the Southland Tales, but they definitely are trying to get at the same thing. Like you said, mean-spirited. Like, I think Idiocracy is like, hey, it's a funny enough movie. It's good. Uh, I liked it a lot at the time. Uh, I like my judge, certainly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 2006, um, uh, both movies, by the way. Yeah, so. Yeah. Ah, okay. So we got, a, we got a volcano Dante's Peak situation <laughs> going on. Hey, but there's one we're doing uh, uh, 25 episodes on, and it's not Mike Judge's uh, movie. So there you go. Yeah, no, yeah. Sorry for the, the diversion there. Um, <laughs> no. Lara Kett rules in this movie, though. Uh, very naturalistic, even though he's doing a foghorn leghorn impression. Yeah, yeah. His his accent uh, is extremely good. I don't know if we've ever remarked on that, but it's it's very funny. Marcelo, uh, your important thought. Uh, yeah, so I was curious when the, when the roads diverge, when v- Wave of Mutilation plays... The subtitles, as The Rock mumbles something, is like, a, you know, whispers incoherently. So I wonder, what exactly does The Rock say in this in this part of the movie? I wish I could read lips. Um, so just to do research on my own, I just looked up the, you know, uh, Southland Tale screenplay, as one does. Um, Marcelo. I don't think we've ever talked about the screenplay, Marcus you and dirty I. dog, Marcelo. Um, so there are, I found three versions of the screenplay. Uh, one from 2001, uh, one that has no date, and the other one from 2005, which I believe is closest to the shooting script. Uh, suffice, suffice to say, it's interesting. Um, I, uh, during that moment where I was trying to see what, Rock, what The Rock was saying, it, it doesn't give me anything in the script. But it does give me uh-huh. the uh, uh, very detailed uh, description of the truck fucking commercial. Uh, which I just sent. Ooh, okay, let's hear. I it. just sent Marcus um, the page of, so Marcus <laughs> sees it too. Uh, I, I appreciate you doing that, the extra legwork of finding this. Uh, am I supposed to read this? Yeah, please read that. Uh, cold. Great. So go ahead. I just sent that to you a minute ago. Please read the whole thing. The camera cranes down onto a suburban street. Green manicured lawns, sprinkler sprinkler systems, plush houses, storm clouds accumulate in the sky above, thunder rumbles. The camera approaches a house on the north side of the street. A silver 2008 Trier Saltaire SUV sits in the driveway. A blue bolt of lightning comes down from the sky and strikes the truck. A blue shield of electrical power scans over the truck like a 3D Xerox machine. On the... Did did he just did he predict three D printing? Was that a thing in two thousand five? <laughs> um, sure, why yeah. not? Let's give him credit. Yeah, let's give, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's give him that too. Yeah. On the south side of the street, a black Trier Saltaire SUV uh, sits in another driveway. Another blue lightning bolt strikes, and a three D Xerox of electrical power scans the SUV. The engines of the two cars come to life. The black SUV backs slowly out of its driveway and into the street. It pulls around and approaches the other truck. The brake lights flicker from the truck as if to signal the other vehicle. The camera lowers down to the exhaust pipe on the back of the truck. It slowly extends out and expands like liquid metal, widening its diameter. The camera moves to the exhaust pipe on the SUV. It slowly extends, snaking around, ready for some action. 
The SUV tires expand and stretch as though they are amorphous liquid matter, able to operate like legs on an animal. The SUV mounts the other one from behind. The SUV tailpipe snakes around and inserts itself into the opening of the other exhaust pipe. The SUVs begin to rock up and down, having vehicular sexual intercourse with one another. The Trier logo appears on the screen. Underneath it, the phrase, Roads Not Required. <laughs> Damn. I mean, I've uh, I've I've whacked off to erotica less well written than that. That's like some good <laughs> stuff. Ah, <laughs> uh, so um, and perfect. it's uh, liquid metal. I mean, they don't say T one thousand, but I, you know, I think it definitely evokes. I like to imagine that the car was imbued with the sentience of Robert Patrick. <laughs> Both cars. Um, uh, before we jump ahead, I just wanted to reference the. Wallace Shawn, the Grand Nagus himself, uh, says, No longer must we burn the spirits of the dead. And that's a fucking rad line. Yes. I agree with you. Yes. Uh, okay, we get an interesting extra shot here of a massive... Oh, yeah. They're, 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 in this concept more, they're trying to sell the death of Dion and Dream as being a big event that kind of starts off uh, some protests or some shit. I don't know. Um... I kind of skipped by a bunch of here, bunch of stuff here. Uh, Zora tases Ronald he, Roland and runs over Bing. Uh, R.A.P. Bing Zimmerman. Oh yeah, you're uh, Ronald way ahead. wakes up. Oh <laughs> yeah, if you got stuff to say, uh, go back because I was no, of... not like uh, I don't think necessarily. Um, just some more lines I liked. Your Baron is drunk with power. Uh, religion of chaos. I wrote that down. Um, all the also the goddamn the. Teen horniness is not a crime. Observe the nerds who shot Columbine. <laughs> is that uh, is so good? Fucking insane. I don't know if I want to hang my hat on that one as something I think is good, but it certainly yeah, stuck great. with me. Um, it, it's, I, I think I think in this bananas uh, surreal world of this film. It's a little bit of dark humor. I like it. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, no. I think it's it, it totally plays. It's fun, but it's edgy. It's probably... It's a little edgier than any of the... Any other line in particular in the film, I think. Probably, yeah. I think I agree. So, yeah. Uh, Bing gets run over. Um, I really love his line read in the car when he's trying to leave. Um, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Yeah, like yeah, it's really sad, isn't it? And you can keep the you can keep the rollerblades. Think of them as a gift. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. We went from the you know the cars fucking one another to in this scene the the car fucks a person, right? <laughs> Good observation. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, here is a little observation. I never, th- or if I if I did, I don't remember finding. Uh, pointing to this but ronald or roland gets tased and ronald wakes up at the same time that roland gets knocked out ah that's interesting interesting and then uh he goes and gets knocked out again uh like immediately after waking up uh by the highlander uh Ru, yeah uh, anything about the highlander walter mong um i might have misread this because i was like a little tired but i i feel like Watermong doesn't really seem to give that much of a shit about anything in the film. And am I right and I could be completely off about this, but like he finds out his daughter is shot, right? And doesn't give a shit. Yeah, he just laughs. 
yeah, he comes on um, the radio and he just laughs and keeps reading his magazine. I yeah, I I almost felt like I'd maybe dozed off for a second or something because that just seemed so cold and insane. <laughs> um, I don't very weird. I I don't I feel like I really of... have a handle on Walter Mung as a character. I love him. I, I really I I think Christophe Lambert has a shit ton of um charisma. Um, but I yeah I don't really know what. He's like, I guess, an arms dealer. Yeah, I, I mean, I can, I, I can list the things I know about him, but that's what. What's your take on this guy? Who the fuck is I, Walter Mung? I, I don't know how he is this person, but I know he is one of the people that, based on his actions and his words, uh, particularly at the end of the film when he hands uh, the bazooka to uh, Martin Kefauver, and he says like. Uh, go get him, soldier, or good work, soldier, uh, yeah, for getting yeah. uh, Roland there to Ronald. Like, clearly, he is somebody that sees the fuller picture. Yeah, because like, he has, he's disdainful of the neo Marxists. It's not like he cares about yeah. that cause in particular. Is he so, is he perhaps like a, a horseman of some sort of <laughs> apocalypse? maybe you could think of him that way. He's definitely like, like, he's just another one of the players in the big grand game of this film. Like one of the, like there's a handful of them, like Serpentine is one of them for sure. Yep. And, uh, I'd say probably Simon theory, uh, Kevin Smith's character who we'll get to in a bit. There's he, um, Serpentine and Walter Mung both seem to operate on a sort of, level where they're aware of the game and are almost kind of above it or are yeah. far more flippant about it um it, whether that's it, like yeah. they, have, they know that the universe is predestined and it's going to go this way or they just realize the sort of cosmic cosmic absurdity of it all they definitely both feel like everyone else is struggling right everyone else is working super hard towards a specific goal and they come together in sort of a cacophonous disaster of an ending um but they are more sort of leaf on the wind real sort of chill riding the hurricane vibe right yeah and i think that explains his reaction to his daughter's death he's like whatever i guess we'll all be dead tomorrow anyway like what do i care yeah so walter mong is like nihilism or something right yeah sure (laughs) sure yeah that that is an interesting thought the four horsemen of the apocalypse i wonder if we could try to fit that in here somewhere because i mean the 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 book of revelations is that something that happens in that book i don't know uh, also i wonder if there's significance to the name walter mung that could perhaps give us a little bit more understanding mung. on the you know perhaps mung. inform the character but i'm not trying to get into that right now it's just it was something i thought because it is a it's a singular name certainly i would like to get into it right Veronica now and walter mung yeah Ooh. let's Okay, so Marcus, ha- I'm sure we've talked about how they're related, right? And the movie, even the cons cut here, doesn't really seem to um, make that clear or even like really bring yeah. it up at all, right? I mean, you'd have to look at the cast list on like IMDb to see that they're related, and or like or like read like like on a computer screen or something that her, that her real name is Veronica Mung. I think yeah. you can technically. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's Amy Poehler. Sorry. I think maybe earlier on, I accidentally called yes. Amy Poehler, Sherry O'Terry. Um, I don't think I don't, that's the worst mistake to make, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, sorry, I just, if I did say that, I apologize to both Amy Poehler and Sherry O'Terry. Yeah, like, um, like you're saying, uh, her name could be on the computer screen, and, but do we even know his last name? I don't know, my point is, whatever. Has this been brought up in, um, the uh, prequel novels? Um, because my thought is like maybe he wrote the prequel novels novels first made them related maybe there's a connection there which i need to reread those novels by the way i think we need to do a redo episode on the novels marcus and i i agree um i agree because maybe that was just i would definitely like to read them yeah uh, oh by the way they, they are hard to come by uh only if, oh yeah i'm i'm aware <laughs> but only if you don't know where to, where to look uh, i think marcus can okay. send you like a, a good link to the books. Uh, I, I don't have it saved, but yeah, I can. I don't know if they'll ship out to your country, but maybe they will. I I feel like I would be, you know, if 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 somewhere out there there existed a PDF or perhaps oh, a, a oh, CBR yeah, file, uh, uh, well, uh, that might exist. Uh, uh, well, uh, it wouldn't be legal to look at such a thing, uh, so. But if I was to uh, if I, I was to purchase it. them and then keep a digital backup for archival purposes, you're well within um, your rights. I think, yeah. <laughs> okay. But- yeah. Sorry. I, I just I, I I know there's a nod at the end credits for the graphic novels. Yes. Um, which, yeah. Which I like. And I was just like, yeah, good fucking luck getting them. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, initially when we looked them up, they were like five hundred dollars, like on eBay or something. But yeah, the, you can legit get them here in the states uh, through. I think their direct seller. I forget the name of it, but anyway, um, graffiti designs. There you go. Uh, sh- okay, they yeah. should be paying us graffiti designs. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I guess closing that out. Like, I'm sure if it, if it's not the graphic novel, he's got this expanded world all in his head, and maybe just enough time or the budget to kind of add scenes to have those two side 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 characters. You know their relation be brought up uh, in the movie so that's just my thought it's it, it his world is so massive that sure two characters can, can be, be related but you know scenes like him listening to the radio finding out his daughter's dead <laughs> doesn't affect him at all <laughs> i could see that being a side effect of like uh the, the world building that kelly has done but yeah that's my thought on it yeah no that 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 tracks for me i can totally buy that there's and even if there isn't um it sort of it makes the world weirder and more interesting and allows yeah. you to sort of speculate in your head. And I think this film, if it's good for anything, it's good for sort of inspiring speculation. And uh, here we get the introduction of Janine Garofalo and Kevin Smith, uh, Dr. Simon Theory, and... Fuck, her name was just in my head and it disappeared. Uh, I've just but, got it written down as rotator cuff, but I don't think that's right. <laughs> yeah, she's a compromised rotator cuff, so she can't salute. That's Simon Theory, though, what, is he a fucking Linkin Park album? Garofalo's <laughs> uh, yeah. character name, General Tina General MacArthur. Tina MacArthur. Tina I remember, MacArthur, I remember okay. Tina MacArthur. So, oh, so Garofalo, glad. right? There's like a lot of um, sort of metatextual meaning here, because... Famously, Garofalo was very outspoken about the invasion of Afghanistan yeah. Oh, yeah. and the sort yes. of war. Um, and so it feels very pointed that she's cast in this role. A role that's entirely excised from the theatrical cut, as far as I remember, right? Maybe she refused to salute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she refused to salute Richard Kelly because of a, <laughs> an injured rotator cuff. <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, in that 2016 article... 
they t- they do talk about Jeannie Garofalo in the Q and A, and um, yeah, I think we've talked about this before. It's 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 why there's a D and D experts listed in the credits. It's because of this whole subplot where Garofalo and Smith talk about D and D. That was all excised yeah. for the theatrical cut. Uh, but yeah, that's why there's a D and D expert in the credits of this movie. Yeah, and they uh, they thank. They thank Wizards of the Coast in the credits as well, and I it took me a while to figure out why. And um, but that that makes perfect sense now because Wizards of the Coast own D and D, right? I believe, or did yeah. uh, until they got yes. bought by Hasbro. I believe they're all a subsidiary of Hasbro now. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Wizards of the Coast are the D and D people. Capitalism eats everything. Uh, what's that going on right. with Simon Theory? Um, <sighs> what a loaded question! <laughs> what a loaded question! <laughs> Marcus, explain. Do you have any Simon theories? <laughs> I, I I know a little bit of his backstory, where he was chosen by uh, Baron von Westphalen to run the tests in Iraq, or is it Iraq, where uh, <clears throat> on on U.S. Army soldiers over overseas in the Middle East. And that's got to be Fallujah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is Fallujah because that's where uh, pilot Abernathy gets injured. Yeah. So I feel like they've uh, got to be connected because he's smuggling the fluid karma out. Sorry, I'm going off the No, hills. you're right. You're right. Uh, P- Pilot Abilene and uh, uh, Roland Taverner were... I said Abernathy. <laughs> uh, uh, were uh, two of the test subjects. Uh, they were testing on U.S. Army soldiers, uh, this experimental fluid karma drug to see what it did to people. Uh, uh, Kevin Smith's character, Dr. Simon Theory, was uh the head of that experiment uh from there no idea uh he he led a he led a uh, okay at the beginning of the story at the beginning of the movie boxer wakes up on the beach right yeah there was a scavenger hunt on the beach in the graphic novel led by Simon Theory, I think. And okay. Boxer was at that scavenger hunt and I guess got knocked out or something and that's why he wakes up on the beach. I, Marcelo, do you remember yeah. any of that? Wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's go back. So, say that whole thing again, Marcus. I need to get my head straight. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Simon Theory. Yes. He, he led the experiments on the people in Iraq. Uh, yes. Fallujah. Uh, <clears throat> on the army soldiers. And then do you remember something about a uh, a scavenger hunt? Oh, okay. On the beach. Oh. Is this... This is graphic novel stuff. Man, this is why... I need to reread this thing because, like, we we or we need or we need to bring Andrew back. Just have him on call. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I do think it's fair to be of the opinion that if it's not on screen, it's not necessarily canon. Not I think with this film, it's a little bit of a different story because it's all Kelly's vision. But generally, any insulary materials I feel like are there's slightly less canon than what's shown to us in a movie, right? Yeah. But all this shit is like slightly, at least slightly referenced in the movie. Like, like there are just small hints of, of all of these things all throughout. And like, so like they're technically there 
as weird tie-ins. I, I don't even know how it worked either because I think the I think the graphic novel was written after shooting the movie. I don't oh. I don't fucking understand how this guy did this. I can compare this to uh, uh, the Matrix movies, uh, two and three, Reloaded and Revolutions, because yeah, uh, the Wachowskis also had you know ancillary ancillary materials outside those two movies, but to me, they were important or as important as the canon within the two films themselves, and they do make reference to uh, like the Animatrix. And the video game, which I played. I fucking, I sold like five games to buy Enter the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> um, that might not have been the, the best decision. <laughs> I wish I still, well, actually, I wish I still had my copy. I say that, but last year I bought a copy. Yeah, you myself. bought a copy, did you I not? You copy. made me buy a copy. <laughs> like I, I was jealous of yours and I bought one. <laughs> They're cheap on eBay. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I definitely smoked a lot of weed and played that sort of hacking mini game. Um, as a as a sort of god, how old would I have been? Fifteen year old, maybe. <laughs> right. I, but I, I do love that, and I it's it's kind of sad that that's gone away. You don't see that happen ever, really, um, unless like uh, you find out that uh, Palpatine has returned through Fortnite. Like that's what we get oh, nowadays. Um, right. And Marvel will do like a you know prelude to Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's canon until another movie contradicts it yeah they're really you know it's like hey if you want to give us money for something that we'll eventually disregard go ahead but it's very much you know oh this is part of the universe until it contradicts anything yeah that they then decide they want to do and they'll do like spin-off series like we got that little batman movie coming out with a spin-off little batman series little batman what's going that? on with little batman we got a little batman coming out have you not heard the what, news like check child batman i think he's just a little little batman guy for the series finale of that do we see his parents get killed is that is, is that it is like um oh it's like uh it's like bruce wayne is a precocious young boy sort of and they don't explain why he's already batman <laughs> oh marcus just sent over a screenshot of a tweet um First look at Merry Little Batman. The film follows Batman, Alfred, and young Damian Wayne, known as Little Batman, as they navigate the fun <laughs> and frustrations of life as a superfamily. The film will release on Prime Video alongside a spin-off series. Is this this is a meme though, right? Or is this a real thing? It's a real thing. I mean, I like Damian Wayne. Damian Wayne's fun. I've never known him as Batman. I've only known him as Robin, but um shit, I, you can do anything with Batman, right? Like it's a cash cow, and it doesn't seem to diminish the brand, regardless. I, there, I know there's a show right now where the Batmobile is sentient, right? <laughs> there's, yeah, there's like a what? there's like a Paw Patrol. It doesn't it doesn't fuck another car. I was gonna say, does it fuck another God car? Damn. No, it's like a it's like a Paw Patrol thing, I think, and it's about like Batman's vehicles. Does the Cause, Batmobile? Because kids fucking love CGI cars. Like I, I'm trying to think of what cars the Batmobile can fuck. It can fuck the the Ghostbusters car. It can fuck yeah the um, Ecto One. Famous, yeah the Ecto One. Uh, uh, Marcus, help! Uh, let's let's think of cars you can fuck. Let's see. Um, well, I mean, um, that the Batmobile famously, can fuck. Yeah, famously, Kenner produced the Batman toys, and they also did like a cool uh, car for Beetlejuice, right? In their toy line, there it might have been called the Creepy Coupe or Coupe. That could be a different. Okay ghost car that kenner made 
Okay. But yeah, I feel like uh, I Night feel Rider. like Batman car. The Batmobiles got to be able to fuck any car at once, right? Dragulaire. Uh, oh yeah, uh, and but okay, but uh, uh, toys were just mentioned. This is it. Yeah, this is, what I I need to, to. this is what I need to do. I need to talk to Rue about this. Rue, you are a toy collector, are you not? You are definitely an enthusiast. I would, I, yeah, I would say ho- hobbyist or enthusiast. I think I do have a, frankly, shameful toy collection. Um, no, no, no. I, I'm not like a mint in box person or whatever. I like to open them and mess around with them. Uh, Play with your toys. It's probably a bit of a problem. Uh, most of them end <laughs> up in storage, but I do really enjoy specifically buying toys of like movies or TV, especially strange ones. Um, you know, from things that bombed. Uh, but yeah, I am big time, big time into toys. Although I probably, yeah, fuck it. It's not going to hurt my chances of getting laid any more than I already have <laughs> with everything I've said on this podcast. So uh, yeah, I. I fucking love toys I, I love having a little doodah a little um sort of a totemic representation of a piece of pop culture that i enjoy yeah having that having that i like i like them as well i don't have a ton but like i like having that that little physical memento you know that's how i, how I think of them but I, I do want to ask uh who do you think what character from this film do you think is most uh toyetic hmm. oh well i mean like in terms of, if we want to dip into sort of the real world for a moment, although I try not to, um, the Dwayne Johnson, Boxer Santaros, has a, a million action of figures. Of course, you yeah, know? from WWE. Um, so I would say he's a big, buff, bald-looking dude. He's existed in WWE figures. Uh, Lannard made a Rampage line. Uh, he had G.I. Joe figures from Retaliation. Um, I feel like he has to be the most toyetic just because he's the buffest guy. Um, in terms of who else, I mean, like, technically there's a Wallace Shawn action figure because he played Grand Negasek in Deep Space Nine. Um, Kevin Smith has a shit ton of Silent Bob That's figures. Yeah. Um, I think there was some NSYNC collectible marionettes back in the day. There's probably like um, a Buffy figure, right? Uh, yeah, there's absolutely, there's multiple. There's a, a company that went under pretty quickly called More Action Collectibles, who released four Buffy action figures back in the day. But then obviously there's been like Diamond Select ones, and uh, even Funko with their reaction line put out a pretty limited run of uh, of Buffy action figures. Um, so yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Uh, but in terms of who the most toyetic is, it's definitely got to be Dwayne. Who I would like a toy of the most is oh shit. Uh, also, uh, Christophe Lambert. Uh, there's been some like Highlander figures, Highlander, yeah, uh, and uh, the GI Joe Mortal Kombat action figures. They did some movie based ones of that as well. Although the likenesses, anything from a '90s toy line isn't gonna have a great likeness. Um, but I would like a Martin Kefauver action figure if I, if oh, I could you? pick anybody. Yeah, because he's cool. He's got the rocket launcher. I could like, I can see it in the packet, you know. Yeah, that's fun. I, I, what I about think, you? Who would you? Who would I, you like? Okay, I would like a little a little diorama scene of a of a pilot Abilene from the musical sequence with two of the nurses like behind him. Oh, and it could be like one of those old uh, the Star Wars miniature playsets where you have to open up sure. like um, Wallace yeah. Shawn's head, and inside yeah. is the yeah. is the musical number. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, you know I'm gonna be like actually 
like dreaming about this stuff and wishing that it was real. Uh, I want I want to see that blood stain on a little figure, the blood stain shirt, and the and the cut on his face. Oh, that that would oh, that could look so nice. Uh, by the way, I looked up. There is a Amy Poehler from SNL action figure. They uh, they also put out recently. They did some. Uh, Parks and Rec uh, reaction figures as well, so I think you can get an Amy Poehler oh, yeah. that way. I don't. I just for some reason in my head, I thought maybe there was a Sean William Scott, but I, I was wondering about think, him. I, I, don't I don't think Sean William Scott has had an action figure from anything, which is a weird one. I'm picking my brain for anybody else in the in the flick that has figures. Um. A Crystal Now Barbie would be pretty fun. Oh, hell yes. I want my Crystal Now now. <laughs> uh, Marcelo, from your complete lack of saying anything, just total apathy towards this is what I'm understanding. I I was hard-pressed to find a John Lovitz, uh, the critic action figure, um, but mm. I did find a Lewin Sinclair from the Simpsons action figure. It's a character he played, so yes, can't oh, confirm, can't yeah, confirm John sense. Lovitz does have an action figure for one of his characters. Okay, we can move on. <laughs> you've, you've beat me, though, because the only one I could think of for Lovitz is that he appears in the... His character appears in the Little Nicky Game Boy Color game. That was as close <laughs> as I could get. So you have trumped my knowledge. I think I had that. Okay. <laughs> Boxer, he's taken to the mansion. We'll talk about the mansion in a minute. Uh, but we cut back to uh, uh, Bart Bookman with Zora in the... Uh, stormy night. It's a stormy night. Uh, I think that was a bit from last season that we did. Uh, it is a stormy night, and he is uh, channeling. Channel, I can't even talk. He is channeling Dennis Hopper in Twin Peaks. Uh, no, not Twin Peaks. Uh, Blue Velvet here, it. I think. With the you want to fucking watch a movie? He's got that real like. Kind of. When you say it, I never thought I wanted to, but maybe. And then she says, "Let's let's watch a fucking movie." And then yeah, <laughs> this, this is one of my uh, favorite tiny dark jokes of the movie where Bart gets upset about uh, not about. Uh, uh, okay. As pilot Abilene puts it, uh, officer Bookman did not officer Bookman could not understand why Zora did not love him. And in the background, we're seeing uh, him throwing around like rubber duckies or something in rage. And uh, yeah, he like goes to the big toilet, right? goes to the big toilet. It's full of like rubber duckies, I think. And he starts throwing them around, uh, splattered in Kenny's blood, I assume. Uh, yeah, it would have to be right. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, the, the voiceover. Okay. Officer Bookman could not understand why Zora did not love him. He wanted to die. I think that, I think, <laughs> that bit, I think, that's I, so I think we've all been there, right? We've all been Bart Bookman in that moment. It's, <laughs> It's so sad, so funny. It's the end of his character. We never see him again. I don't. We barely see Zora again. Okay, until they get shot. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We we see his wish oh, come we true. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. My bad. Yes. Okay. Uh, but I'll also say real quick. Uh, it's it's an addition to the cons cut, or I guess the subtraction from the theatrical cut. That that little moment. It's not in the theatrical. And I, I do like it that it's yeah. here. It's that's one reason why I like the cons cut better. It humanizes him. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the it's the only element of the movie that humanizes him. Um, if you remove yeah. it, he becomes what I was talking about earlier, which is just this sort of malignant entity. It's the only thing that makes him anything other than a destructive force of evil you know 
Krista arrives at the mansion. Kevin Smith refers to her as the succubus, which is another tiny little line, tiny little peek at the Krista now is uh, her own, her own uh, plans, which again are just, they're more laid out in the con cut, barely in the theatrical cut at all. Con cut, I mean, in the, in the graphic novel, they're, they're laid out perfectly in the graphic novel. In the con cut, they're more fleshed out. They're barely in the theatrical cut. Anyway. This is my favorite scene in the movie. Okay. I love the soap opera opera ness of it. The rain machine in the background. It's a be- beautiful rain machine. I think it's so well shot. Yep. They, the, the, the constant twists and turns, uh, the drama, uh, whether they matter or not. It's, yeah, it's actually his baby. Yeah. Brant's, you were pregnant Brant's with baby. Brant's baby. <laughs> and the, uh, the sort of the absolute nonchalance of, you're going to be a granddaddy. Yes, yes. I, I wrote that down this time. I, that made me laugh a lot. Yeah, yeah. You're he be could a not give uh, less listen. of a shit. <laughs> uh, this is, okay, so uh, we got cockchuggers too. Cockchugging in here, of course. She wasn't in Deep Throat 2, though. No, I'm not in that movie. Uh, I, I love Boxer's line read of uh, he's talking about all the different things that Krista is, an entrepreneur and all that. Uh, he, ha- he ha- She has her own energy drink, and her drink tastes really, really good. Good. Uh, can I see the Can I see the cockchuggers? And then, and then he tries to get the cockchuggers DVD, and is like swatted away. I think that's really it's funny. denied. Yeah. Um, she this Krista now is. I guess it was happening at the time, but she is very much a sort of modern celebrity entrepreneur, right? Yeah, uh, the idea that these uh, these sort of icons and famous people have 10 products and 10 things going on at once, um, I guess was maybe a thing at the time, but she really does speak to sort of the Kardashians or, you know, just like the sort of modern celeb diva culture we have of like with her being a pop star i think they're kind of she they're kind of she's like a meld of like uh I, for the time i guess like britney spears and uh, paris hilton um yeah but it's like porn star to pop star right also porn star yeah like I, I was kim kardashian at that time and i don't think so i think that was a few years later yeah, and uh, even then, I don't think that really counts as working in the adult film industry so much as like yeah. getting doxxed. Right. Oh, I, I, the the little details of Serpentine feeding the Baron grapes uh, like throughout the whole scene. Yeah, and he uh, whilst he insults a Chihuahua, which then reacts to the insult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a thing he got from Domino uh, with the the goldfish. Remember that, Marcella? I remember that. I remember Domino. Great. Okay, so <laughs> well, like uh, the, the move, the Tony Scott movie. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, Richard Kelly wrote that. Oh, okay, okay. All I know about that movie is the trailer where she's like, "My name is Domino Harvey, and I am a bounty hunter." You, you should watch the movie, Rue. I think you'd like it. Hey, I I like Tony Scott. Uh, rest in peace, and I like Richard Kelly. Career rest in peace. <laughs> um, so. So I should, I will check it out definitely. He'll be back. He'll be back. We're all waiting for the box too. Bigger box. <laughs> the the bigger box. Uh, yeah, that's. that's <laughs> he he's working on Donnie Darko too. He's working on Southland Tales point five. He's working on kind of a box follow up with his Rod Serling biopic. Uh, he's hey okay weird. I get and I guess we're not uh, we're not acknowledging the existence of S Darko right. No, uh, I don't no. think we. Uh, I don't think we officially do, but um, we're. 
going to talk about it on this show. No, that's that's one thing I'm going to shoot down. <laughs> that I shot down before <laughs> on this show. I'm going to. Sh- you have. Shoot You've been down. really. I hard don't want that. I don't want to do any extra work, especially if it has like nothing to do with Richard <laughs> Kelly. Uh, that he like does <laughs> yeah. not. I'm sure he doesn't want to even talk about it. Uh, uh, so no, no, no We're way. We're not going to make him talk about it. No, I'm just saying it's not in the. the, the you you want to honor the man, and you no, think that the, would be yeah, a dishonorable it's not, act. It's not, Kelly Kino. No, see, the logline of the show is the works of Richard Kelly, and more specifically, Southland Tales. So it 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 doesn't fall in our purview. So I don't think we should cover it. I think it's uh, hey, it's, it's not my business at all. But maybe one day it would be interesting to talk about the sort of wider pop cultural impact of the works he's you know made famous, I, and then perhaps you could reference it a little bit there. But that is not my decision to make. Sorry. I've had that thought before too, but yeah. But also for this show, I forced Marcus to do uh, uh, to talk about the Dead Zone, and and other movies hey. he, he hasn't done. But we're influenced by, so that that's at least like a connection. But I don't know. I mean, Marcus I fucking love the Dead Zone. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, Marcus, you love the Dead Zone too, right? <laughs> yeah, we dug it. Wait, I thought yeah, it was the really ice good. Is gonna break. Yeah, it's super and, good. And that's one of uh, Kelly's uh, favorite Cronenberg movies. Um, but yeah, okay. I think it's. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, I'm pretty sure it's my favorite Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah, it, it's one of the probably best. is mine too. Yeah. Even though it's it's, pro- it's, it's got to be most... up there as one of my favorite Stephen Kings as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But okay, but uh, but Marcus, please package, uh, please submit your proposal on an S Darko uh, episode uh, in the future, and I'll reconsider. I, I will yeah, have I'll have it on your desk by uh, the end of the week. Thank you. Uh, okay, so uh, 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 the, the 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 scene's ending. Krista now is uh, leaving. Uh, she, I, I love the way she uh, like stumbles over her heels on her way out the door. Uh, she says, "I love you," um, to Boxer. Right, that's what she says. Right, I love you, Boxer. Something like that. I love you, Jericho Kane. Yes. Oh, she says Jericho Kane. Oh wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah, playing into the the sort of fantasy, or you know, maybe. The sort of acknowledging that she's now perhaps a believer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably, yeah. Oh, good stuff. Good, good catch. Um, uh, we got Muses Blackout playing here, which uh, just another banger alert. We've had three bangers this episode. That's a lot. Uh, we see. Okay, so there is. Here was my major revelation. I found out on this episode. Okay, doing a little the the minor research I did at two in the morning. Uh, that we saw the okay. This is Zelda Rubenstein's character, uh, Doctor Katarina Katarina Kunstler. Um, yeah, shadows of the morning light. Yes, we saw the shadows of the morning light, the shadows of the evening sun, until light and shadows were one. I googled that. I, I it felt weird to me. It's always felt weird to me. I but, but like this movie is really poetic with its dialogue at times, and so I didn't really think too much about it before i just was like oh that's cool uh, but this time i googled that whole phrase and took me to a song by jane's addiction these oh. are direct lyrics from a jane's addiction song uh from 1990 and the song is called three days and ah. just the fact that it was called jane that it was a jane's addiction song was like holy shit to me but then when i thought for an extra second about the name three days 
I like my head nearly exploded because like the, the the whole plot of this movie is that in three days the world is going to end at the at yeah. the start of it. I, I uh, oh, God, I loved that. I got uh, I got such a thrill finding that out. Yeah, that's a really good catch. Uh, all I really know about Jane's Addiction is that there's a two-part Degrassi episode named after one of their songs. It's a pretty heavy one. And also Kevin Smith did some work in Degrassi. Um, so, yep. you know, it ties it all together nicely. Yes, it does. Everything ties back to this. To this. Everything ties Everything ties is around. Southland Tales. Yes, we, we keep finding these connections in everything we do. We do a commentary for a movie, and we do a commentary for Jackass 3, and then we forget entirely that Sean William Scott is in that movie. It's just everything ah. ties back into it. It just it just keeps happening. Um, okay. Uh, I, I went to the Wikipedia for this song. Uh, I was surprised it had a Wikipedia page. I'd never heard of it. It's a 10-minute song. Under one of the tabs, um, a live version of the song appears on the band's 1997 Rarities compilation Kettle Whistle. This version appears on the soundtrack of Richard Kelly's 2007 film Southland Tales, which repeatedly quotes the shadows of the morning light section of the lyrics and revolves around the final three days before the end of the world. And uh, also the original version made an appearance in the 1992 film Singles. Oh, uh, so this was on the soundtrack, and I've listened. I have the CD. I've listened to the soundtrack. I, I, I had a nice car ride one time where I listened to it a couple times. It's great. Uh, I still had no clue about this. Yeah, hey, like the like the beautiful over the shoulder shot of uh, Dwayne Johnson driving that little car. Oh my god! Oh my goodness! Yes. Um. So yes, that that's one of my favorite things in the concat. Like in the theatrical, that's like three seconds. In the con cut, they really drag it out, and it's it feels kind of Lynchian a little bit, but it's a direct uh, reference to one of the film's most prominent uh, inspirations, probably the key inspiration for the movie. It plays inside of the movie twice, is uh, Kiss Me Deadly. Um, that, yeah. that exact uh, camera angle from behind the car, and I think that exact type of car um, is in the movie Kiss Me Deadly, and I love this extended drive down the winding highway. It's a... Uh, road like it's so good the uh something i think i neglected to mention earlier on is the um boxer santaros walking with the camera when um he's with bart bookman uh and they're heading towards the the sort of oh god i'm losing every a dream and dion sort of scene um was there body cam footage at that time it really evokes sort of you know the the sort of police body cam thing that has become sort of more yeah. synonymous in, in years since. Uh, I just wondered if that was something that existed at the time, or... I don't know. 2000... Or if it's just the, you know, the the idea, like at the start, the camcorder, almost just having those little hints that it's a real person filming something really, like, creates a bigger sense of reality, you know? Yeah. Um, our final little thing here is just a... Uh... Uh, the wizard in the car, uh, Baron von Westphalen, uh, he calls calls somebody, I guess Simon Theory, and says to move the Palatin body from Utopia 3. Still no idea what, what the Palatin body is. Or I know what it is, but I don't know what it means. Is what that is the body... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but that's the reference to Boxer's other body, right? Yeah, right, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, and right here is the part where, uh, in the theatrical cut, we go from this to cutting off Mr. Takahashi's hand, but that happened in the con cut in the first five minutes. 
Um, and instead, uh, instead we were still listening to Muse's Blackout and we get like an extended shot of the, of the military graveyard that's been, uh, set up on the, on Santa Monica Pier. Uh, oh, you mean Coffin Depot? Coffin Depot. Uh, that's why I have it as this is my note, in my notes anyway. <laughs> I found it to be a really poignant, uh, <laughs> little, like, uh, you know, like the lives we've lost thing, like, like don't forget about Cause like in the commentary, the, the pimps don't commit suicide line, uh, to Richard Kelly, that kind of specifically, he wanted that to specifically refer to, uh, uh, military veterans suffering from PTSD and stuff. Um, yeah. Like that was his primary inspiration for that line. And, uh, I, I like the, having the somber music over the shot of the soldiers carrying the coffin. Uh, but we are going to end the section here, uh, with a little exchange between, uh, Bobby Frost and Madeline Frost. Uh, Madeline calls him a cock chugger and, uh, uh, Madeline or Bobby, uh, asks his, uh, advisor, uh, John Larroquette, uh, Larroquette watch. Uh, he is still alive. Uh, did you did you ever hear that word cockchugger? What does it mean? It's a colloquialism <laughs> that colloquialism that I think has become popular amongst the young people. Okay, I just think it's funny. I thought it was a fun, funny line reads, more funny stuff. Uh, just having fun with the crew over here. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like a little bit of levity after sort of one of the more arch and dramatic scenes in the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Seventy-five years old. John Larroquette. He's hey, going he's strong, in the Night baby. Court reboot, right? Yeah, he's in the Night Court yeah. reboot. He, he looks good with the beard. He's got a beard now. Uh, Marcella, anything to say? Uh, this has been a great recap of chapters five and six. Folks listening, uh, we've reached, we're past the halfway point. No? Yeah, we are. An this hour twenty one minutes. Point, this right? is the halfway point. Oh of the of the minutes. Of the yeah, of the of the minutes of the uh of the movie itself. Um chapter six. We're going twelve chapters this season. Yeah, uh any thoughts, Rue, on uh any other points in the movie we didn't cover and also the end. I always want to hear about the end, uh how you interpret it. Because it, it feels like there's always like a new answer with every guest we bring on about the ending oh. of the movie and how you take it. Goodness. Uh, oh, I have no idea how I interpret it. Um, yeah. uh, let's see. Um, well, I guess Roland and Ronald are holding hands. Uh, they're emanating light. Uh, they've sort of, from being being the same person and being in conversation with themselves, have started to learn to forgive themselves. Um and it could be interpreted, perhaps, that that means the world won't end. Uh, you know, it could be kind of a hopeful note. Um, but also, the their glowing um, and fluid karma is continuing to make people crazy. So perhaps they're going to turn into a fucking black hole or a neutron star and destroy everything and start an entirely new universe. I truly have no idea. And honestly... For someone who loves speculating, it's not a question I've ever had when watching the movie. I just kind of... I'm so affected by the sort of big explosive final moments and the sort of genuine kindness and empathy 
and sort of heart that comes through in those last moments. It's incredible that they managed to make the line, you know, he's a pimp and pimps don't commit suicide. Such a sort of like heartwarming and uplifting message. I know that was the intent, but you know, obviously the language perhaps doesn't age super well. Um, I I guess I, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is that I have to read it as hopeful. Yeah. Right? Like uh, Boxer Santaros dies for our sins. Roland and Ronald are the new, the spark of perhaps understanding that will spread throughout the land. I don't know. What What do you guys think? It's, it's your podcast. <laughs> and I do not know what I'm talking about. No, initially I took it as a uh, uh, like a pessimistic like brutal ending but then after talking about it with so many people uh it, it it opened me up to yeah like and maybe the last discussion we had with uh vera well not not for the commentary but for like chapter 12 last year with with uh, us and vera um we talked about it more and i got like almost emotional talking about it because yeah it turns out i find it hopeful now after seeing it so many times and analyzing it the way we have on this show and it's 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 great to hear that interpretation rue because um i i hope that when people look at this in a you know new perspective or if they're rewatching it for the first time in years or giving this another shot i hope they come to those terms because i i think it is more hopeful than i think people um you know are, are led to believe so yeah yeah i i i care i care less about plot-wise and like world-wise world-wise where it leaves the world i i, I think about it more as like a <clears throat> met- metaphorically you forget they have uh the characters uh ronald and or roland and roland have uh found it within themselves to forgive themselves um of their past sins and traumas and uh are basically entering the world anew um I don't know. Yeah, Marcelo said he got teary. He's like, I, I, I get, I, I get teary-eyed thinking about it. Like, I, I really do find so much meaning in the end. I fully buy that. That's my interpretation as well. I think you've, we've sort of talked me into definitely feeling that way about it. Um, yeah. I think even the sort of language of uh, Abilene referring to him as the his best friend sort of makes me a little yeah. emotional as well yeah, that, that's i think really once sweet, again yeah. just that empathy and that sort of and this huge sprawling story that sort of very human sort of moment of sort of oh these people we knew they were connected but they're really they're best friends or they really care about each other is just a really nice thing and uh I, yeah i think it could represent rebirth right the the rpg the rocket is the sperm and the, the zeppelin is the egg <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah why not yeah i like that i think we did it yeah i go I, us I yeah i'm too. happy i mean uh, um unless there are any you know uh other last thoughts on this film you may have rue um i mean it, what i mean this is it what else can you say about south on tales oh uh two things two things yes. uh first of all Fortunio Belducci is a really, really good name. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And I guess, I guess if I, it's not so much a thought as a as a question, but one, you know, we've been asking so many questions about this movie. It opens up so many ideas and pathways and divergences we could go down. But 
it left me with one sort of overbearing question that's been niggling at me all day, and I wondered if anyone had the answer to it. And that question is, what is fluid karma? Oh, okay. It's it's a okay. There's a serpent's uh, tunnel that wraps around the middle of the earth. That uh, basically in a sort of like making a f- sense so far, like a frack, yep. like a in a fracking. Think of it like fracking. Uh, <laughs> okay, like a big snake has fracked around the earth. Uh, well, no, that 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 snake is naturally inside of our earth, uh, but okay. bear the baron has fracked into the earth to <laughs> extract this fluid karma. Fluid karma gets used in the tidal generators uh, to be a sort of Wi-Fi signal that can power. <laughs> Uh, that can power machines within a certain radius without having to use gasoline anymore, which was needed in the first place because gasoline was cut off from us because of our war in the Middle East. Sort of the opposite effect that the war had in in real life, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> right. fluid karma is also a drug, right? Uh, yeah, as it, as was tested in uh, uh, on our U.S. Uh, soldiers, our pimps. Um, if you get in, uh, if you inject it, it is a hell of a drug and it can cause, uh, uh, different reactions in different people, uh, such as, uh, being, uh, uh, psych, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Being kinetic, kinetic, uh, being psychotic, linked, you're linked. Like you, you can see the same things, memories or whatever. Okay, okay, like telekinetically... Telekinetic, yeah. No, no, telekinetic is moving stuff. Telepathically linked. Telepathically connected, perfect. Yes, thank you, that's the word I was looking for. You're telepathically connected with other users, uh, and also, uh, depending on who you are, you can maybe see forward in time, backward in time, or experience time in a different way. You can can talk to God without ever meeting him, as they say. Um, Some, yes. Okay, well, sure. No, I think they say it in the movie. Really? Yeah, when uh, when they're doing the bit of like you know you you do red, go to bed. You do green, you know you'll be clean. They don't say those things specifically, but they're talking about the different types of fluid karma. When um, pilot Abilene is giving Martin Kefauver a hard time, and then he's like, "Oh, my dad's your plastic surgeon," you know, and he's like, "Do you bleed?" Green, you dream. Blue, in an hour you feel new. And you can forget all about mellow yellow and aging orange, because, hey, I'm giving you blood red. Yes, exactly that. Um, yes. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah, it is uh, It is super 2 a.m. here, so I am <laughs> well, sort of... It's never a, been more 2 a.m. than it is right now. What a, what a perfect time to close this off. Rue, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I think we've reached the plug section. Unless Marcus has anything else. Marcus, do you want to keep Rue further? <laughs> okay. Of course um, I do. But, but, but I do think we also have to end this for their sake. Yes. Uh, Rue, plugs, work, the people listening find you online if you should be found. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much to both of you for letting me be on the show. It's been a pleasure and a privilege, and it's been really fun to geek out on this movie. Um, I want to thank Alex for sitting here and suffering through me sort of having a one-sided conversation because that's all they can hear. Um, I want to thank Vera for being such a amazing influence and introducing me to, I think, sort of uh, Marcus just through sort of seeing you interact with one another on Twitter, probably. Um, I don't really have anything to plug. Um, 
uh, well, I don't even know what my name is on Twitter at the moment. Shit. Marcus, do you know what my Twitter name is right now? Uh, are, are you like the Fablemancer still? Yeah, the, the Fablemans 2, the Fablemancer. Uh, <laughs> so sure, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I just talk a lot of shit. Um, D-D-R-U-U-L-Z. Yeah, yeah, D-D-R-U-U-L-Z. Um, check out the People's Joker when and where you can. Support trans artists, support trans kids, support everyone because it's still a really difficult time right now and it's a scary time. But, you know, specifically show some love to your um, trans brothers, sisters and non-binary people because it isn't the best time to be any of those things. Yes. Certainly well a message we uh, love to spread and hear. Yeah, but uh, but, you know, it's also the best time to be one of those things because if i wasn't non-binary i wouldn't have made a twitter and i wouldn't have met vera and i wouldn't have met marcus and i wouldn't have met marcelo and i wouldn't be on this podcast so yeah, look at that you know i'm super glad i'm super glad i got pink pilled <laughs> <laughs> uh, beautiful um marcus our plugs uh follow you garn Blader. no we don't do plugs yeah uh, patreon patreon.com slash talk from yeah, society uh, no we don't do this no it's not uh, uh, uh yeah i think Let's we're done marcelo here we go let's with say our, catch our signature catchphrase everybody knows it uh, folks listening uh say it with us here we uh, go yeah hey ha, ha, you. hey have. Ha, hey you have hey, nice. a nice nice a pod a <laughs> bye bye <laughs>